to use those critical thinking skills. Welcome to Medically Unbiased. Hello and welcome back to Medically Unbiased. As always, I'm your host, Tyler, here with a good friend of mine, Dave Champion. I actually was able to contact him, meet up with him, and we scheduled some time out of our busy lives to sit down and discuss all things COVID and the bullshit that ensues with COVID. So, hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Doing good. I, I love the line about the busy lives. Yeah, no lie. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, the, fa- the fact that we're pulling this off <laughs> is very, yeah, it's very unique. Um, as much as I've known Dave, what, for about 10, 15 years now? Something like that. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Um, I know, so I want to introduce Dave, but my problem is I don't really understand. I don't know his accomplishments. Like, I don't, I'm not going to list Dave as a, well, you did this and you went to this school and he, like, I don't know Dave that way. I met Dave at the bar when we were dancing All right. and BSing and having a good time. And the more we talked, the more we became friends, the more we learned about each other and just like life, we're just kind of cut yeah. from similar cloths. I mean, Dave's a no bullshit guy. He's going to give it to you straight here on the podcast. He knows a lot. He's done a ton of research on COVID, on different medications, on what's happening in the world, and he's really knowledgeable in the political sphere. So even though we're a trying to be apolitical on this show, because I can, I, I obviously lean a little more right on some subjects and a little more left on some subjects. Dave, I think, splits the hairs right down the middle too. I think he leans right on kind of the fiscal policy and left on the social policy and a lot of stuff so i mean it's going to be a good middle ground for us to talk about covid some of the policies being enacted and some of the bs that's going on in the world all right so now it's my turn to introduce oh this is scary (laughs) tyler to my audience because this podcast is going to go up on my podcast channel as well that's right okay so for my audience and what's your podcast Tell, tell people where to find you uh just Dave Champion, Dr. Reality. They can go to any of their preferred podcast apps and just enter Dave Champion or DR Reality. Dr. Reality. I like it. Um, So, yeah, I met Tyler a while back. Um, Like you said, like a decade ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. wasn't sure I liked him at first. <laughs> God, you have the same response, which, which, which I think is really common with guys who become good friends. At first, it's like, what the fuck? Right. So, right. So, um, I, I think one of the things that, that Tyler and I first discovered that we had in common is neither one of us suffers fools well. No. Uh, we just don't have that. Whatever that skill set is, <laughs> right. neither one of us have it. Um, but the thing I wanted to say about Tyler is he's a Renaissance man and a man of accomplishment. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about um, remodeling a home, whether you're building furniture, whether you want to produce knives, mm. which is something he has done, um, whether you want to be treated for your uh, cardiology issues. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't matter. I mean— Anything for, for the all the years I've known Tyler, I, I think this is the important part I want my audience to know, is for all the years I've known Tyler, if Tyler wants to go out and be good at something, he just does. If he didn't, wow, if, he didn't know, <laughs> if he didn't know Jack about it yesterday, within a couple months, he's going to know everything there is to know about it. And within a couple months beyond that, he's going to give you something akin to uh, expert service in that area. Wow. Um, so I, I think that's a really important thing. And and I think, you know, you, you have quite a bit of formal education. Yeah. Too much probably. But, right. But I think the, I think the, the things that impress me most about you are not where you, not those areas in which you have received formal education. 
it's those things where you said, I want to know about this, and you've just gone out and become damn near an expert at them. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's very kind of you to say. I mean, you've kind of helped me in some of those regards when it comes to uh, especially shooting because I really wanted to get good at shooting, uh, carrying a gun, being proficient at you know using my weapon and People who don't know you don't know you are a master firearms instructor. Yeah. So it was uh, a godsend to be able to pick your brain and then have you take me out to the middle of the desert and show me and teach me and fix my form and fix my stance and make me look like I knew what the hell I was doing with a firearm. And so right, right. The, the training was was epic, and I probably should have spent thousands of dollars on it, but means that we were friends. It worked out in my favor. Happy to so, do it. Uh, One thing I want your audience to know before we get going Mm -hmm. um, is that I wrote a book called Body Science, which is a book on physiology um, with a strong emphasis on nutritional nutritional physiology. But it's a general human physiology book. And I think it's important for your audience to know that that I I am a published author in that field before we start talking about physiology. That was going to come up because I want people to know, and we could let's do it now and we'll bring it up again later, but... The book Body Science, I read the... You were a proofreader. I, I proofread the book before it even went to print. Yeah, yeah. And I feel very blessed that I was able to do that. And the cool thing about it was is that everything in the book is accurate. Like, it's highly researched, highly, you know, uh, backed up by data. There's no hyperbole. There's no conjecture. There's no speculation. It is factual from beginning to end. And I think the important thing for anybody who who says, oh, that sounds interesting, is for them to understand that um, after you said those kind of things, it also completely cuts across the establishment grade. Oh, yeah, because the, it's not doing yeah. the same thing that the American College of Cardiology is doing. Like, oh, you have to take a cholesterol pill. Like, this is going to explain to society how to help fix their problems Yes, without needing... Of, uh, no, medications. Yeah, and and the physiology behind how how it fixes the problem. And why? Yeah, yeah. One of the things I tell people all the time about body science is w- when you close that final page, uh, you will never ever be able to be fooled or misled by the establishment. Whether we're talking about government, whether we're talking about people like the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, whether we're talking about the media, you will never ever 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 ever. Be able to get fooled by them again. Right. They can't pull the wool over your eyes anymore. Never again. Never you're going to have all the info. Yeah. To me, that's... So how like, do they find this book? Oh, um, they can go to my website, which is Dr. Reality. Again, that's just drreality, no space, dot news, and then just click on store and have Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So hopefully we can get some people coming to the store and checking it out because it's a great book. Thank I mean, you. it's a very important piece of work, and I think people should check it out. Yeah. So... To the COVID thing that we were talking about pre the restart of this recording, um, <clears throat> Dave and I kind of talked last week about what we were going to discuss, and then we were at the last minute deciding whether we were even going to be able to get together because we were both super busy. But in the list of items, I think one of the things we need to go over is the ADE section yeah, of absolutely. COVID. Absolutely. So there's a lot of people worried, and I say a lot of people because it's hard to quantify how many. So mm-hmm. I just I know it's more than one. In less than a billion. <laughs> so I'm gonna good say, estimate. Yeah, yeah, good round number. You're not wrong. No, I've never. I'm like a weatherman, right? I can't be wrong. Somewhere between a, thirty and ninety today. Yeah, <laughs> partly cloudy, sunny. It's um awesome. So the the ADE is stands for what, Dave? Antibody dependent enhancement. So I know Fauci talked about this in a pod, not a podcast, in a video that I saw on him maybe 
a year or two ago about antibody dependent enhancement long before COVID was even a thing. Yeah. He had, he had discussed it and said how it's so rare, so can't ever happen, would never happen, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's a lot of questions regarding this vaccine and whether or not it's causing people to be either more infectious or the antibodies that they're supposedly have in their system from the spike protein that's being inserted through the mRNA vaccine, Mm -hmm. if that's causing them to then be more sick. Because we've seen higher numbers now than prior to vaccines. So ADE is an interesting subject. Um, I think it's important for your audience to know that every single coronavirus vaccine that was ever attempted, um, including SARS, not COVID-2, but the original SARS, uh, MERS. 06 or whatever, yeah. yeah. Every single uh, coronavirus vaccine attempt or something similar, genetically speaking, to coronavirus, uh, every single one was stopped because of ADE. Right. Okay. Um, it has typically been thought if anybody becomes more easily infected after vaccination or after vaccination, they become infected and become more ill than they would have without vaccination, that if anybody more, more, more than like, you know, one one hundredth of one percent um, experience ADE, then the vaccine is not good. Okay, uh, The standards. Up until SARS-CoV-2, the standards were... Up until this... Let's let's just say the standards prior to 2001, prior to January 2001, when this vaccine rolled out, Mm -hmm. the standards were, if that even shows up, it's bad. Yeah. Period. Exactly. So with the mRNA vaccine, um, that seemed to be thrown out the window. And, And that's just not my opinion. Um, in the information that Pfizer submitted to the FDA seeking its emergency use authorization for its vaccine, it listed ADE as one of the potential uh, adverse reactions. And in the FDA's documentation evaluating the information from Pfizer, uh, the FDA acknowledges that that is a concern and says... (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I've been looking at this stuff a long time. I mean, people are going to be shocked and I'm laughing because I'm like, I got this, this just... So absurd. Okay. It's it's funny because it's absurd. It's yeah. funny because it's BS. The FDA it. said it, it is a concern, and we will have to begin looking at that concern after the vaccine is approved. Okay. So now, hang on a second. I want to be very clear. Emergency use authorization is not approval. Right. Okay. So somewhere in the range here in the United States, about 200 million people received the vaccine while it was under emergency use authorization. Still under emergency use authorization. It's still. The the stuff that they approved, so let's clear this up. The stuff that was approved is not being used right now. It's not available in the United States. It's not even available in the United States. Yes. However, Pfizer claims that in every way other than the label, no, I'm not saying this is true. Right. Okay, I'm just saying with cl- other than the name on the label. Yeah, the, the, Pfizer is saying that the only difference between Cormanity or whatever they call it, it's mRNA vaccine in Correct. in for instance Australia, mm-hmm. and here the only difference is the name that appears on the label. That's that's their narrative. Well, the only difference is that you can't sue Pfizer if you get sick <laughs> right. under an EUA. <laughs> right. 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 If it's if it's a fully functional authorized vaccine you can sue them yes so we nobody in the u.s can sue pfizer or moderna or johnson and johnson because they're all 
currently in EUA. Now, when they approved this vaccine, they just extended the EUA for the current vaccine that's being used. Yes. Because Cormanity or Cormanity, I don't know how the fucking you say it. Yeah, I doubt the same problem. <laughs> okay. I, I swear they throw Scrabble tiles on the table and it shows up and they're like, oh, that looks like a good name. I think that's how they come up with names for drugs because it doesn't make any sense. No one can speak, say it or spell it or it's, whatever. It's ridiculous. So whatever the name of that drug is, is not being utilized in the U.S. right now. So I didn't mean to digress, but okay. I thought we had needed to fix that. Absolutely. So back to ADE and what the FDA said. Um, They said that we can look at this, we can do research on this after approval. So what we're saying is 200 million Americans were injected. As a lab experiment. And then the FDA was saying sometime after that, then we can look at ADE. This, This is completely flipping the safety protocols on the head. In every other attempt that was terminated, right? Mm-hmm. They tested for ADE well before they, they'd even submitted any information. Actually, they never did submit information to the FDA because of ADE. Correct. Okay. It stopped the process. Yes, exactly. Put the they stood on the brakes once right. they looked at the ADE. Here they said, "What do kids do? They slap their hands over their ears and go la 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 la." <laughs> okay, so, so that's what Pfizer and the FDA agreed to do for ADE. Suddenly, whether it's making people more receptive to infection, whether it's once they become infected uh, post vaccination, if they become more ill, uh, and by the way, we know that's not happening with everybody. Let me be clear about that. Right. Um, but if that happens to a percentage whatever that percentage is we do with the mrna vaccine we don't care about that we cared in the past but we don't care now and right which is weird why would i, I don't understand why things change so drastically just in functionality of medicine mm-hmm. and coming from the medical from a medical perspective because mm-hmm. i practice medicine all the time yeah so coming from that perspective why did so much change and i think there's doctors out there asking similar questions may i answer but, that for yeah you? please okay so i have a long time good friend we used to work together decades ago okay and uh he's i'll just say very well off now yeah and he does a lot of investing. And we were on the phone a couple months ago when he uh, told me that he is a longtime investor in mRNA technology and that he follows up on his investments. He doesn't just, he doesn't just throw the money and then wait for something to happen. He follows up. He wants to know what's going on with his money. And he told me that in the case of something like a pandemic or an epidemic, if they could get authorization to use mRNA vaccines public uh, across a wide spectrum, as we've seen here, it would push mRNA technology forward by a decade. Now, that was just from one source. Probably about three weeks after he and I had that conversation on the phone, I happened to stumble across a video of Fauci speaking at a conference several years ago. He's up on stage with a couple of other speakers, and... He's saying, if we have a pandemic, and <laughs> right, if we have a pandemic, and we use, we can, we can, on a wholesale basis in the public, use mRNA technology vaccines. We can push this technology forward by a decade. That's funny. Okay. So there's, I've got my longtime friend, uh, who's one of the most honest and forthright men I know. I've got him saying it in the in in the mode of uh, looking after his investments. Then we have right. Fauci. Uh, as a senior NIH executive, talking about say, giving the same narrative, we could, if if we can do this, we can push this technology forward by ten years. 
Um, so I would say I have high confidence that that's exactly what's changed. Yeah. Um, mRNA technology, as far as vaccines are concerned, is intriguing. Um, what it does is it creates a platform that is, I'm just going to throw out an arbitrary number here for the point of illustration, mm. a platform that is 95% compatible with every single contagion that may pop up. Okay. okay. So basically, they've got this platform. Easily and, used by the body. Right. So all they do is they adjust the 5%, and it's incredibly cheap to make. Um, and <laughs> Most profitable year for yes. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson. And because yeah. the 95% has already been approved, mm-hmm. right, That it's just a standing platform that's, that's you know, their view is there'll come a time when, when everything will be mRNA. Right. So there's going to be no controversy at that point about the 95% platform. Right. Okay. So then they don't really need to go through this years-long process to bring a vaccine to market. And their concept is that something pops up in the world. Look, there's a virus we didn't know about, like SARS-CoV-2 was back in, like, November in China, November 2020. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. Back in China. It was, right. like, suddenly. By the way, the reason I say November. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you. Well, U.S. intelligence sources actually reported on, on paper um, that China was having an outbreak in Wuhan in November. Right. Okay? They didn't. They just didn't know until December that it was going to be something we call SARS-CoV-2. Correct. They didn't okay. name it. They Co- just knew there was a problem. Yes. An intel report was just saying a lot of people, a lot of motherfuckers are getting sick. Okay, right. Over in Wuhan. Well, and I don't know if you're aware, but in Thailand, they already had seen person-to-person transmission. So in December, early December of 19, the... Min, the minister of health in Thailand wrote a letter to the WHO ah. and he said to the WHO, we have a new novel virus that's spreading person to person and infecting people and killing them. And the WHO was like, fucking, I'm not listening to you. Yeah. You're just- we, we are an arm of the Chinese government and we are not listening to Thailand of anybody. Yeah. But I saw the letter, not the physical letter, but sure, I saw sure. the copy of it online and I, and in a previous podcast, I've done an outline of the timeline of COVID, and me and one of my friends went all the way back to November and even before because oh. it was found. It's also found in the sewer water. They were China was treating their sewage because it goes through the bowel, mm-hmm. and so they were finding it in the sewage as well. Ah, so they were highly treating their sewage water. As much as they were worried about respiratory virus, they're treating their sewage on the side of that as well. Lovely. So, I mean, it's a diversion from where we were going, but I mean, sure. the history, I get where you're coming from. And my listeners will know if they've listened to that previous podcast, they'll understand that, yeah, November 19, that's a rational timeline. Yeah. So the, 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 the big thing, what, what, what changed their willingness to push things forward without looking at matters such as a question, such as ADE, um, is that they're looking for, they see the promise of mRNA. I don't, don't know whether it's going to be the realized promise, right? We don't know mm-hmm. that yet. But the promise that mRNA supposedly holds is that you're going to have inexpensive, very fast vaccines. Um, I question the inexpensive part. Yes, inexpensive to make, but I, and I think people are going to think I'm cynical when I say this, but, but I really truly believe this. I'm not just trying to be cynical. Um, you know, if, if it costs Pfizer, say, 15%, if an mRNA vaccine costs 15% of what it cost to use a 
traditional old school to produce a traditional old school vaccine, um, only a fraction of that savings is going to get passed on to the governments or to the health agencies. Oh, none of it goes to to the consumer. So, so the 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 real thing, the the pharmaceutical industry um, that is just completely, completely profit driven. um, Absolutely, they're looking to do something fast, inexpensive across the board on any pathogen that pops up and make a shitload more money than they've ever made on vaccines in the past. So that's... Oh, man! <laughs> and, of course, I know you want to... We don't need to get into this now, but I know you want to talk about regulatory capture. Oh, we bit. can talk about that, yeah. So with with Big Pharma having uh, achieved regulatory capture yes. uh, over various... Uh, For quite a long time now. U.S. government agencies, yes. Um, getting its way is not difficult. No. Uh, the... Big pharma in the in any industry is or any in any of the big pharma companies I should say be better to say is they're already involved in regulatory capture and we should probably define define for the audience what regulatory capture is um, but in essence it's that they're controlling <laughs> their narrative to the government that, yeah. because Regula- they own they own all of the functionality of so they can determine what's going to get proven good and proven bad and the government's going to be like oh well i guess we have to go with that because uh you guys say it works the best regulatory capture i think a good working definition for the audience yeah. is when an industry that a, a group an industry or a group of companies that is subject that is subject to regulation mm-hmm. ends up arranging their affairs in their legislative contacts in such <laughs> a way that they now control the regulatory agency that's supposed to be regulating them right which yeah. telecom did it yeah. Railroads done it. I mean, there's been a ton of industry that's done this, so it's not a new concept. No, it's not. And I would say, uh, you know, regulatory capture. The food industry's at, done it for a long time. At what, yeah. At what point do you say regulatory capture has occurred versus influencing an agency? So I, I would say, where's the defining line? In other words, in the areas that I tend to focus on, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of physiology. Um, I would say the industries that have hands down, they have complete regulatory capture, is big food, big med, and big pharma. Their their control over the agencies that are, are supposed to be regulating them on our behalf, their control is so complete that they get anything and everything they want, yeah, period. True. Full stop. No, that's true. Um, I, I think part of the industry, when it comes to you were saying how the cost to bring a drug to market. Yes. That cost is, it's very expensive to bring a drug to market. And a vaccine is very expensive to bring to market because it's generally prior to COVID and prior to the, and I don't even include the flu vaccine in there because it's not a fucking vaccine. It's, I'm sorry. It's not yeah. no. polio. The polio vaccine was a vaccine. Like when you got the polio vaccine, you were like, Oh, I won't get polio now. That's amazing. Most people, most people, yeah. I won't get polio. I got the vaccine. I won't get polio. Right. Right. And when I say most people, like 99% of yeah. the people won't get polio again or ever, right, yeah. if they got the vaccine. So that works. This isn't that. No. This is, no. I call this a therapeutic. I call the COVID-19 vaccine a therapeutic. I think you're absolutely because right. Because I think that. we treat people, it's a, it's a pre-therapeutic. In other words, well, Pfizer came out with a pill recently, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> um, 
So we have a pre-therapeutic. In other words, I'll you know, give this you, is going to be like a four-hour podcast. That's the, okay. The way you and I go. I know people will talk. We'll listen to it, or you can put it on mute. Or whatever. I, both of my listeners will fucking love it. All right. <laughs> so the, the the groups that come out with these drugs when they spend a ton of money, they're spending money to make a profit later. So you don't come out with Lortab. You know, or you don't come out with Lipitor as a cholesterol drug, let's say. Lipitor is a cholesterol drug. But guess what? Everyone gets fucking Lipitor all of a sudden when you're like 60 years old and your cholesterol is up. Yeah. So they can be body science. But no, I'm just saying they're going to get a cholesterol drug. Well, you're going to use that drug and you're going to take it every day and you're going to renew it every 30 days or every 90 days, whatever your, you know, renewal period is. You're going to see your doctor every six to months to a year. You're going to get that drug again. You're going to do your more labs. So those companies get incentivized to make a drug that they use regularly. Yes. Vaccines stereotypically are not that. Vaccines are a one-time dose. So you only have in the US 330 <laughs> except, million except for people, the current mRNA vaccines. <laughs> which is to me uh, why the mRNA vaccines were created and why they wane in their efficacy from the initial time till six months later. And if I remember right, Pfizer goes from like 95% to like 42% within six months. Uh, Moderna goes from- A lot, a lot sooner than that. Okay. I know Moderna drops to like 56% and Johnson Johnson drops like 18% efficacious. So in other words, they all lose their functionality over time. Yes. And Which, whether that's a, a linear logarithmic scale or a you know a sure. ramped graph, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, it's just chronology. And we'll, but that's why the boosters are coming, because they're going to make more uh, money. Dude. And you're going to need boosters every six months or every three months or whatever they determine. So when does the shit stop? Because like it's continuing on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So. We're going we're to talk about exactly why... In, in a little bit here. So so to the audience, stay with it for, for all two of you. Stay, <laughs> Both of you. Yeah. Stay with us because we're going to get into some really fascinating information about why the mRNA vaccines, you, you constantly need another injection every six months if you intend to have um, what they call immunity from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's true. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about a bunch. This is gonna be a fun podcast, man. I'm I'm actually anxious we got to do this because I was really really worried that we wouldn't be able to get together. But now that we are able to get together, this is gonna be fun. So let's go to commercial and then we'll come back. Unbiased. So, I do have some funny commercials I could throw out here once in a while. I got some of Peter Griffith, actually, or Griffin, Griffin, yeah. actually doing some U.S. Postal commercials. It's funny. <laughs> I don't put them on all the time, but I put them on once in a while. So, I'm getting better at the running of the buttons. People that listen to my podcast know that I'm a little slow at the button sometimes to make it work. I don't have a producer, people. I don't have... 
the Joe Rogan money to like right. make this thing work. I have me, myself, and I, and all three of us are trying to get shit done properly. So this is where we're at. We'll talk about masks for a minute. Yeah. Or the fact that they're a waste of everyone's effort and time. You know, we're so far along into this event. Um, I, I think it's important sometimes to bring people's minds back around mm-hmm. to fundamentals that they may have lost their grasp on because of all the um, media propaganda. The forest for the trees problem. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to reiterate to people. I mean, first of all, I think there's there's something we need to say up front. Um, when Fauci's emails were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, uh, Fauci, who, of course, people remember him saying, oh, yes, we absolutely need a nationwide mask mandate. And then saying if one mask is good, two masks is, is better. <laughs> um it, it's important to note that in one of his emails to a uh, uh, associate of some form mm-hmm. who asked – she was going abroad. She was traveling. Yeah, and on she, a plane. She asked if she could – if she should wear a mask. And he said no. And Fauci said they don't do any good. Um, the viruses are much smaller than the porousness of the mask. It, so, no, don't bother. Okay, so I think it's important, first of all, to separate what he's saying in private to what he's saying in public. He said that in public on 60 Minutes. In March of 2020. Right, very early on, yes. Yes. Um, never to be seen again. Never. That clip never to be seen again. <laughs> that clip is hard to find, yes. Um, but his his email is out there. Um, Correct. Yeah. So that's people can go research that. I only themselves. read like 3,000 of the 6,000 emails. <laughs> You're much more diligent than am I. <laughs> well, I, there wasn't a lot to read in some of them because they were a lot of them was blacked out. Masochist. Yeah, <laughs> horrible. A lot of it was removed. So the other thing that I, I want to remind people of is that um, – a mask might, under certain circumstances, have some benefit. And let me explain what that is. Um, I want to be very clear that maskless people, say, walking down a grocery store aisle, passing one another, good afternoon, sir, good afternoon, ma'am, okay, I'm walking mm-hmm. down the aisle, there is absolutely no transfer of a virus, okay? I want to be very clear about that. Um, so if people were not wearing masks and they were just passing by each other in the aisle way and not, not lingering, not getting 12 inches from each other's face and so forth, there is no, the, the virus does not have powerful legs and it is not leaping off of you <laughs> onto somebody else or off them onto you. Okay. Right. To be clear about that. Um, because I think that's the narrative that people got at some point. They, they were like, okay, oh my God, you're in public and I'm in public. Fucks. One of us is going to get infected. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I think that's because of the way that was described by the general medical community yeah cdc included oh yeah and and the media just driving panic correct so uh, what's illogically your, driving panic. yeah so what actually does uh, i know you know but i'm speaking yeah, to yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. what actually does transmit the virus okay so if you cough on somebody most notably on their face okay if you cough on them and you're infected you will likely infect them possibly possibly if you higher likelihood for sure. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. If you sneeze on them, higher likelihood. Same story. Uh, if you speak in such a way that spittle flies out of your mouth onto their face, same I thing. Okay. So a mask can prevent the effluvium that comes out of your body, mm. uh, your mouth, your nose, or the spittle when you speak. Um, it can stop that. Okay? However, I think 
if you look back at your lifetime and I look back at my lifetime, the number of cases that I'm aware of, the number of incidents, that's a better way to put it, mm-hmm. where somebody has coughed or sneezed on me, or is, on me. is virtually zero. Okay, pretty, yeah. pretty damn close to zero. Perhaps I can recall maybe three or four cases in my life where somebody spoke in such a way. I was like, fuck, dude, do you bring a, water, a washcloth? Because <laughs> you're spitting all over me. Okay. Right. Uh, it just, it doesn't happen. No. So uh, the, the, this idea that masks work is absurd from the get-go. And then when we talk about things like sneezing and coughing, I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. No one, this is really the insane part of all this. Nobody wants to sneeze into their mask or cough into their mask. Right. So they're walking around with a mask. Take their mask out. And and then when they go, oh my God, I'm about to sneeze, they pull the mask down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or I have a cough I can't control, right? (laughs) Right. And then they pull the mask down. I mean, I've seen it time and time and time and time again. Excuse me. So the masks, they don't work, number one. Right. Just in general, as Fauci said, their, the, the level of their porousness is gigantically larger than the size of a uh, coronavirus. Right. Um, they would work at capturing effluvium if people actually kept them up. And when they sneezed and cough. And sneezed and cough. But, but I totally get why nobody would want to sneeze or cough into their own mask. Right. So, so they're a complete waste. Well, going back... So if, we, so if we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, the 2020 era, the beginning of 2020, there was this panic because we operate on a just-in-time logistics model for equipment supply chain. and supply chain logistics in any facility any in the world. doesn't matter if it's the auto industry or the healthcare industry. We're on a just-in-time, meaning that if I need masks in my facility today... I don't have them necessarily. I have enough to get me through the day. Yeah. But I will order from company X to ensure that they arrive to my facility tomorrow because I don't want to warehouse the product. Right. So I don't want to. So warehousing costs money. It's all floor space. You have to heat it or cool it and you got to have people manage it. So there's a logistics cost there. So this supply side economics has in early 2020 created a bottleneck where China had all our masks. And if you remember, we sent a shit ton of masks to China because they <laughs> they were in the midst of, the midst yeah, of this and, pandemic, and we yeah. didn't want it coming here. So we sent them a bunch of masks. Now, there was a gentleman who makes masks, has a mask-making facility in Texas that he shut down a decade ago. He never tore it down. He shut it down. He said... Early on in March of 2020, I can reopen this mask manufacturing facility. I need 30 people to do it, and I need a guarantee that I will have items purchased from me so that I can ensure that I can buy the materials and make these products. The government told him to F off. (laughs) The government told him no way. Yeah. So... Fauci said, and I have a couple points to make. Fauci said, we don't need masks on 60 Minutes. And then he came out and said, you need masks, and then you need two masks. Well, what happened when we didn't need masks? We were worried about the healthcare workers. Everyone needed masks. And if and Fauci's even said, well, if I made everyone get masks, then the healthcare workers wouldn't have any. So we would have, you know, screwed up the world for people treating people with COVID. So I said that, and then he changed his mind and turned around and said, now we need them. But what happened when we needed them? 
all of a sudden you could fucking get them everywhere. Mm-hmm. You could buy masks at Home Depot. You were never able to buy anything but like a respirator at Home Depot, like for painting or dust or something. Yeah. You never got a surgical mask at Home Depot ever. No. Now they're available at Office Max, Home Depot, Lowe's. I mean, pick a store. Yeah. So the minute we were able to get the supply side from China and they were able to manufacture enough masks for us, all of a sudden there's a mask mandate. Now let's go back to the reality of the world prior to COVID. If I walk through, the, and I've said this numerous times on this podcast, if I walk through the hospital with a mask on, I'd have been had my ass chewed. I would have been brought into the management's office and asked, why was I wearing a mask in the hospital? Yeah. Outside, outside an operating theater. Outside either the operating room or outside of a, a specific like negative pressure room. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm in a negative pressure room, like for tuberculosis, I wouldn't be wearing a surgical mask. Yeah, right. I'm wearing an N95 mask and one that fits me appropriately because I've had a seal, a proper seal test on me annually Yeah, to make sure that things fit me properly. People are just walking around aimlessly. I see people at the damn grocery store wearing gloves, touching all their shit, touching all their foods, picking their nose, pulling their mask down, eating a grape, put their mask back up, have their gloves on, but they think they're fucking not infected by nothing. Yeah, I'm with you. I've told a lady at the grocery store, I said, you don't, you realize your mask doesn't work. I said, if a fart can get through my underwear and my pants and you can still smell it, <laughs> I don't think that mask is helping you. Just throwing it out there. And that's a fart. That's not even like a, the, the small teeny particle that is this virus. If you can walk into Macy's and smell perfume from the perfume counter a thousand feet from you that's traveling through the air conditioning system and moving across the way and ending up in men's fashion. Yeah. Sorry. So is that sneeze from the lady that sneezed over there. All of that is aerosolized. Now, if we don't, early on in the pandemic, there was a meme where a guy was like wearing pants and he peed. And the other guy was like, oh, my God, I'm glad he's wearing pants and he peed. He didn't pee on me. But if he was in a pool and he peed, nobody'd be like, "Oh, I'm glad he's wearing a swimsuit and peed." Yeah, you get out of the fucking pool, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> on my excuse me, <clears throat> on my YouTube channel, by the way, if you anybody wants to go look at it again, it's Doctor Reality Dr Reality Dave Champion. Um, I've got a video up there that's entitled "Pro Mask Equal Sign Science Denier." <laughs> that's good. And what I do is I take people through the states that have mass, had mask mandates, um, the strictest mask mandates. For instance, California. Um, from the day that California instituted its mask mandate, I forget the period of time now. It's been months since I made that video. Um, California experienced an 1,100% increase in new daily infections with the mask mandate in place. And according to my friends who still live there, because, you know, I lived there for 47 years, right? Right. Um, my friends who still live there, they tell me compliance was as close to 100% as you're ever going to get. Uh, 1100, I think it was actually 1130% increase in new daily infections. Um, was it Michigan um, with the mask mandate in place? And again, strictly enforced. And my friends who live in Michigan telling me 100% compliance, they had a 1480% increase in new daily infections over six weeks Jesus. with the mask mandate. And then I talk about other states that uh, either did not have a mask mandate or at some point removed their mask mandate. Florida. And I talk, and I, yeah, well, Florida is an example. Texas is an example. Um, and how their new daily infections literally plummeted. Now, I'm not connecting 
the lack of mass to the infections plummeting because they're completely unrelated. But when you have a supposed mitigation measure and the number shouldn't increase ever or, ever. or you know, even you might make an argument that a mitigation measure was uh, minimally effective if you saw only a modest increase. But the kind of increases we're talking about are, are anything but modest. So, <laughs> so clearly it, it just explodes the entire nonsense myth about mask wearing. And if RSV is high for kids too, and yeah. they're all stuck in masks. And if not wearing masks, uh, the, the flip side of the coin, if not wearing masks was dangerous to society, then places that didn't have mask you wouldn't mandates, see a decrease, you'd you, see an increase. you wouldn't see cases literally plummeting right. um, over a couple of months, you know, literally dropping like in one case, 96% in like three and a half months. With no masks. Right. That would not exist if masks were efficacious. Well, if masks worked, we wouldn't need the vaccines. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. If masks were so effective in stopping this virus, yeah, yeah. we wouldn't need. And, and the problem is, is that no one talks about what mask. It's just mask. It's just a general term. So it could be peace. Like even the damn uh, Surgeon General was like showing you how to fold a fucking T-shirt and turn it into a mask. Here's a video on YouTube. How to properly fold a t-shirt <laughs> and make a mask out of it. And this was early on when we didn't have access to any surgical masks or anything. Supposedly we didn't have access to them because of the supply chain issue. So now no one's talking about the difference between an N95 mask and properly fit N95 mask. Sure. A surgical mask. I'm going to tell you right now. If anyone's ever done drywall in their life. You'll understand this. I want you to go put on a surgical mask, and I want you to go sand an eight-foot by four-foot sheet of drywall after you've put mud and tape all over it. Skim coat the drywall with mud and then sand it with like 150-grit sandpaper. And then take your mask off and go look in the mirror and see where the drywall dust is because yeah. it's fucking all over your face. Yeah. In it's the, under your in mask. In the area that the mask was there to cover. Yes. yes. It's it's around your nostrils. It's around your mouth. And those particles are exponentially larger, larger than a coronavirus. Larger than a yeah. coronavirus. So to think that a mask, a surgical mask, that you people, and I say you people, I'm saying the 90% of America right now is not washing their cloth mask daily they hang it from the rearview mirror they walk in and out of costco hang it back in their mirror uh-huh that paper mask that you have well because it costs you you know 13 dollars now for 10 fucking masks it's a buck 30 a mask when it used to be you know a nickel a mask <laughs> prior to covid right it was a nickel for a whole mask and you bought a thousand of them in a in an office setting because you used them all the time right now you go to Home Depot and it's 13 bucks and you get 10 or 12 masks in a little plastic package. Someone's making money. I should have I should have created masks. I should have been making masks. We, we blew it. We blew it. Yeah, that or sneeze guard guy. I should have <laughs> made plastic sneeze guards. Yeah. So to me, the mask thing is a, is a waste. I've said that from the beginning. I feel, I've always felt that the coronavirus, from the start of this, I never felt it was based on any fluid it's been airborne from the fucking beginning absolutely airborne and uh, contact and surface contact contact. you know i I think because it lives for a long time on a lot of surfaces yeah early on for some uh, yes and outside the home um i think surface contact transmission is much more likely because people are touching things for instance let's say um 
this is one of the things I love. Uh, if I can digress for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At my chiropractor, somebody, uh, this is the first go around here in Nevada when they had all the mandates in place. Yeah. And somebody called OSHA, made a complaint, because the chiropractor didn't have clean and dirty designated pens. Oh my, what? Yeah. Yeah, so you had to have, you know, one yeah, a couple pen, of clean yeah, pens that yeah. said clean, you know, and then when you were done signing your name, you would put it in the dirty one and then <laughs> they would sanitize it in theory. Okay. So, however, you can go to the bank and you can touch the ATM numbers. That, never gets wiped down. Uh, never, never. 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 Um, you can go to the gas station and push buttons on there. To, never. Never. The pump handle yeah. never gets wiped down. So, you know, when we talk, this is why I say surface contact transmission, okay? Because people are, touch, like, say, ATMs. How many times have you stood in line at an ATM? A lot. Okay. So the guy's standing in line ahead of you, and he's waiting. And he's messing around with his nose, wiping his nose. It's itching or whatever. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to get that, that piece of food out from between his teeth, so he's got his finger in his mouth. Right. Then he steps up to the ATM machine, <clears throat> feeling great because he's wearing a mask. Right. Um, Touches everything. And he, you know, taps in, well, I want to do a withdrawal and I want to do it from my checking and I want this amount of money. And he's tapping all the numbers. And then he takes his cash and walks away. And you walk up and, and of course, those prompts appear in the exact same location on the screen. Yes. So you're touching the same body he just touched. Everything he just touched. Seconds ago. Yes. And probably you're touching the same spot that 100 people touched in the last hour. Correct. Okay. And yet that, somehow, that reality somehow was, it ceased being significant, at least in the media, Yeah. by what, maybe May? It was a couple, a couple months in, they were May non, 2020? talking yeah, about Yeah, suddenly it. contact transmission went away, which I thought was absurd. It was, or it is, but I think back to the mask thing, I think the masks just represent a visual... For people to say, oh, he's being, or she's being safe. Okay, so. It's a visual representation of a bullshit narrative. I'll tell you what I think the masks are about. Yeah. Okay, because. Compliance. <laughs> that too. Society's compliance. Um, that too. <laughs> but uh, I, I find it hard to believe, um, because most of these governors, they have like a board or a committee of supposed medical experts. Yes. Okay. So I find it hard to believe that any of these governors are being told masks work in reality. Okay. I, I know they make public statements and they press releases, but when they're sitting in a conference room, there's four or five of them sitting with the governor and they're saying, I, I find it hard for them, hard to believe that these experts are actually saying to the governor, yeah, man, this this thing that some people say escaped from a level four, you know, bio lab in, yeah, that little piece of cotton you stick on your face, that's going to save you. Uh, I find it hard to believe you call them experts, but go ahead. I'm yeah. <laughs> but but uh, so here's what I think. Um, you know how the human brain works. So Somewhat. Um, there is a, what I call the lizard part of the brain <laughs> okay. um, that identifies people. Uh, without there being any conscious role in that. And it keys off of facial features, most notably things like the nose and mouth. Of course, the eyes are a big part of that as well. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the mask mandates are really about, well, I will say the word force because it's a mandate. Forcing every single person to present the government's point of view on their face. Okay? Okay. 
So when you go into the store and everybody's wearing a mask, what you're what the perception is, is we must be in crisis. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a... It's a political message. It's, that, a, it's a false... It's a flag being flown saying that there's a problem. Yes. It's a political message that people are being forced um, by law to exhibit on their face. It has no science behind it. Well, it and the person who's not statement. wearing one is the rebel. Oh, yeah. That's I've, never, the, I've never worn one, ever. Yeah. Oh, not not once. <laughs> that's good. I can't say that. I mean, I've worn them. I wear them when I'm in the hospital or in the, you know, in the office or whatever. And I wear them when I go into a grocery store that requires yeah. them. Yeah. You know, I'm very I'm very fortunate that my um, the work I do, I work out of my home. Right. And, and, yeah, if I actually had to work for a company during all of this, I'd probably have been one of those active shooters. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Would have lost it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean... I was at a post office the other day, and a woman was griping about wearing a mask while she was wearing a mask. Right. And I said to her, I said, you know, I'm not wearing one. She goes, I see that. I said, so let me share with you my point of view. She said, okay. Uh, she's probably like 70, right? Right. And I said, the government has a lot of power and a lot of authorities in different areas. One of the authorities the government does not possess is to compel me to act like a complete fucking idiot because they're fucking idiots. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then that's, I mean, the closest I've ever come to wearing a mask, and this is really ironic for those of you, for your audience, right. um, I live in Nevada and uh, the governor here is a, a COVID idiot. Yes. And so we're we're in mask mandate two right now, and I ignored mask mandate two just as I ignored mask mandate one. Right. And uh, but it's interesting because the only place that has how can I phrase this? It's been just absolutely idiotic in in their attempt to enforce the mask mandate mm. has been of all places the irony, the gym. Really? Yes. Now. There is, I, I have to be very circumspect be, in how I cope with that there because there is one gym in the small town in which I live. Right. Uh, and I've been going to the gym for 37 years and I don't want to be shut out of the gym. Right. Uh, however, so I, I did buy a mask. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, the way I wear it is I, I call it my cloth earring. Oh, there you go. Okay. I drape it over one ear. Yeah. Um, and that's how it stays. Mine's, like a, mine's like a chin warmer most of the time. Yeah. And then if the manager comes over and, you know, no, she normally doesn't say anything. She'll normally walk by and she'll give me this hand signal, like point at her face, you know, because right. she's got her mask on, like your mask isn't on. So if she if she does that, I will literally take the other loop that's hanging down, bring it under my chin, yep. my mouth and nose are exposed, hook it on the other ear. She gets about 30 feet away. I unhook it. <laughs> I mean, and, and and how absolutely ridiculous is that sort of gamesmanship? It's it's so silly. And I know, I can't, I don't think it's appropriate for me to disclose how I know this. She's no more enamored of the manager, no more enamored of masks than I am. Correct. Right? But there's this like weird game that's being played. So I have a video out that I put up on, I don't know, it's Facebook or Twitter. I put it up early on during the pandemic and I was at Domino's pizza buying pizza for the kids all right by the house and the lady behind the counter 
Now I've got my t-shirt pulled over my nose so I can walk in and grab this pizza. Okay. <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask. I literally just pulled the collar of my shirt up over my nose and mouth and walked in. She goes, you need to be wearing a mask. Oh, fuck. So she tells me I need to be wearing a mask. So I pull out my phone and I video this woman who's telling me I need to be wearing a mask. And she has a mask on exactly as you would wear it. It's down around her chin. <laughs> it's not covering her mouth or nose. She must be 17, 18, 19 years old. She's not very old, and that's fine. She's incompetent, and she doesn't know. She's just following what she's being told to say. But she's not. Like, you can't tell me to do something you're not doing that's a mandate in your store. Like, it just doesn't even make sense. You know, that that any private sector worker anywhere is trying to enforce masks on their customers is the height of stupidity. Well, I think what this gave society, I think the masks gave society this, uh, I want to say altruistic idea, but maybe that's not the right term. But it gave them this strong ability to think that they were more important than they are. Oh, yeah. So it created a whole bunch of Karens that want to facilitate their push of, you know, governance their governance on you oh they're right you're wrong you do it my way and it allowed for them the mask is a verbal ability for them to start yelling at people i was at starter at the nursery maybe a year ago and my mask wasn't on yeah didn't even didn't even dawn on me i was working outside i went over to the nursery to get a sprinkler part and was so i'm not near anybody i'm in an aisle but there's no one around me and two people walk across the entire building to come tell me I need to wear a mask. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, we weren't anywhere near each other. This wasn't even an issue until you got close to me. Yeah. You created this fucking problem. Yeah, I was fine without the mask, and I wasn't bothering anybody, and no one was next to me. And again, I have to couch that in the fact that this was over a year. Over a year ago, it would have been. So it would have been toward the beginning of the mask mandate push and the, you know, we really didn't understand the virus like we do now. I mean, so there's a lot of, a lot of introspective thoughts that go on there. I have to realize that these people don't know medicine. They don't know how viruses transmit. They don't, just, they don't listen to the science. They don't know shit. They don't, but they, they don't, but they're, they don't, they know what they're being told and the media is lying and they're scaring people. So in that regard, I have to at least, my I, myself, I need to take into account that they're stupid. They don't understand, and I and they're so stupid that they're going to believe what they're told the first time, like everyone does. They're not going to research it. They're not going to dig. They're not going to learn more. So they're going to jump to the conclusions that they've been dictated to from the start of this. And no matter how much knowledge I prove that I have, or how much science I bring with me to the argument, I won't win, especially in that setting. You know what I get all the time? Huh? You're not an MD. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like, and... Fauci's an MD, and he's a fucking idiot. We, well, Fauci's actually brilliant, but he's corrupt. So how does that help? Right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. Um, A brilliant idiot, I guess. Would yeah, be. we talk about regulatory capture. He, right. He's, he's been in the pocket of Big Pharma for at least for three ever. decades. Yes. Yeah. Um, he, he is, to me, the modern Ansel Keys. Yeah, oh, yes. Yes, yes. Where Ansel Keys was um, the paid minion of uh what we would now refer to as big food especially the sugar industry mm-hmm. um oh yeah he yeah. was paid big time by oh, the sugar industry. huge money 
and Fauci is that for big pharma today. And yes, um, but there was one thing I wanted to mention that you had commented on, and now it has flown out of my mind. Anyway, maybe we should uh, talk about remdesivir. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so for those of you who don't know what remdesivir is, it is an antiviral drug. I forget who the manufacturer is. As we're talking uh, about this. Abbott, maybe I don't know. I okay. have to look. So the very first time that remdesivir got on the American public's um, radar screen was when Donald Trump was hospitalized with COVID-19 and experiencing some level of respiratory distress. And um, remdesivir was still in trials at the time for COVID-19. It was not. It was never designed for COVID nineteen. Let's start with that. No, but it was under trials to see whether it was had it, whether it was in any way efficacious for nothing was designed for COVID nineteen. Right, uh, whether it was efficacious in in the treatment of acute respiratory syndrome from SARS CoV two. So that and monoclonal antibodies, neither one had uh, even emergency use authorization at that point. They were both in clinical trials in terms of COVID nineteen. And so Donald Trump was hospitalized, and he started to have uh, acute respiratory distress. And he's obese, of course. And there was considerable concern that he was going to go downhill and crash. So they reached out to the FDA, and they said, we need you to give us an accept an exemption. Gilead makes it. Gilead, thank you. So that we can give uh, President Trump remdesivir and monoclonal antibodies. Okay, so that was the first time that remdesivir really got on the public's radar screen was when people started reading the stories and the fact that he'd been given remdesivir. He was given the kitchen sink. Yes. And, of course, he recovered. Yes. I think the really critical thing about that, though, is he received remdesivir and monoclonal antibodies. Yes. Um, So And, and, and. Yeah. Whatever all else, yes. (laughs) There was a shit ton of stuff, if I remember right. But those were the two cutting edge, and it required a singular exemption from FDA to do it because there was no approval for it to be used by anybody outside the clinical trials. And no doctor's going to give it to him unless someone else approved it because he's the freaking president. If it was you or I, they'd be like, I will try it. If you die, you die. Sucks to be you. (laughs) I I, I read an interview with the um, director of FDA at the time who was asked for that exemption and he was not happy. But, oh, I'm sure he wasn't. Yeah, but I'm sure like, that was a very difficult uh, authorization to yeah, provide. Hi, I'm, I'm Bob Smith. I'm assistant to the president and I want you to do something that ethically you're not allowed to do. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, no, I'm good. So anyway, um, but, you know, remdesivir, it's interesting because the trials in the United States for remdesivir involved a thousand participants. I think it's important to note that trials around the world for ivermectin um, involve many, many times that. Millions, millions and, of people. And the people here in this country, uh, in the um, public health sector, who oppose ivermectin, they constantly dismiss those studies from all over the world, saying that because they had 5,000, 7,000, 8,000 participants, they were too small to be meaningful. And then they love the ones that have 1,000 people in it. Right. And, and then they say that, that the remdesivir study with 1,000 people um, was great. Yeah. Yeah. It's very reliable. <laughs> um, the, co- the cohort size is irrelevant. Okay. So, <laughs> all of a sudden, it doesn't matter because we want this drug. Yeah. So then remdesivir got emergency use authorization in COVID cases. However, unlike in the case of President Trump, most of the patients who re- receive remdesivir do not receive monoclonal antibodies. They receive just the remdesivir because it's in ready supply where the monoclonal antibodies are not, um, which is a more of a, to, to use an overworked phrase these days, a supply chain issue. Yes. Because the, the, it, the, the monoclonal antibodies, they're there. The problem is hospitals aren't getting on board. 
um, and, and providing them. But remdesivir is simple, right? So Relatively. Relatively. So, because it's got to be given in a hospital setting. It does. Yeah, clinical setting only. So, but here's the thing. Remdesivir appears to be a crapshoot in that some patients who are administered remdesivir improve mm-hmm. and eventually get checked out and go home and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Other patients who begin to receive remdesivir within about 24 hours. Declined rapidly. Rapidly. And yes. die. Yes. Uh, within usually four days, they're gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the dog at the back of Yeah. <laughs> One of my dogs is like, he's whining. He's like, you guys have been in there talking all this time. You're not giving me any attention. <laughs> all right. So if you hear any whining, that's why. So anyway, the, the situation with remdesivir is that here's how it works. Remdesivir is administered. If the patient improves, checks out, goes home, then remdesivir is the hero of the day. If remdesivir is uh, administrated and the patient worsens and dies within three to four days, it's the COVID. They've done studies, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. (laughs) But that's the thing. In the cases where remdesivir appears to be deteriorating the patient's mm-hmm. condition. No one ever looks at that. And, and no one, no and one it views is, it as the remdesivir. And they it view is, it strictly as COVID. Yeah, it's, there is zero discussion going on in this country uh, uh, by any authoritative health agency doing any research. Zero discussion about whether remdesivir is, in fact, killing patients. And right. I think uh, the, the information that I have, especially if you look at remdesivir's dismal... Um, clinical trial history before SARS-CoV-2, mm-hmm. it's a fucking disaster. Right. Okay. So you take a drug that, that in various trials, disaster, 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 this disaster. This is an antiviral drug, by yep. the way. This isn't some, this is a drug designed to stop viruses from replicating. Yeah. That was its initial reason for even being. It wasn't like uh, Viagra, which was built to regrow hair. And yep. they accidentally found it gave men erections, and so they decided to change the perspective on the drug. <laughs> this is a drug that was specifically designed to stop viral replication. Yeah. So it, it has a dismal uh, clinical trial history. Okay. And then uh, you know who was involved in, in its early um, advancement, wanting to see it advance? No. Um, Fauci. Of course. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Follow the money. Yeah, right. And, Follow and, the Fauci. And you know who has spoken well of bringing remdesivir to the American people? Uh, Fauci. For, yeah, for COVID. <laughs> Fauci. Um, I, I think I'm seeing a trend, perhaps. Me, yeah, there's a definite trend, for yeah. sure. Um, I wonder if he has any financial ties to the company. You know... Gilead. That is... I don't know if you remember, about seven months ago now, an Israeli... Um, supposedly some altruistic organization awarded Fauci a million dollars. What? I kid you not what I'm about to say. Yeah, yeah. For speaking truth to power about SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. What? Yeah. 
So when I have the time, which I don't have now, and this is something that, that should be easily researched at any point in the future when I do have more time, right. um, I want to know who participates in that in that uh, organization that g- gifted him that million dollars. I want to know who backs it. I want to know who the contributors are. I don't know if Israeli law is like U.S. law, that Probably that all not. has to be disclosed. Oh, I'm sure it's not. I'm guessing that's why it came from Israel. <laughs> right. And then... Maybe he should have got a couple hundred biting paintings. I'm just kidding. Uh, and then... You know, these companies, they're very sophisticated. Um, yes. I, I, I was looking at something, you know, the other day that, like, Pfizer's um, assets are valued at close to $25 billion. Yeah. I mean, these are very sophisticated organizations. Correct. They've been around a long time. They've, yeah. They're very diversified. They're multifaceted, multilayered. It's not, and they you're not how- cutting the head off the snake if you... Get rid of one arm of it. You know? They, know, they know how to filter money out of their organization and yeah. make it available to the people who support them, even if it's not a direct payment. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's also deferred things like, you know, we're going to put this money in an offshore corporation. Um, well, doc, there's a doctor be- I follow on Twitter, and he's, he made a comment the other day. It was pretty funny. Dr. Brian Lozikas, or Lozikas, how you say his name. Um, he said, we, as practitioners, are not allowed to receive a pen I'm like, it's like it would be, it used to be that they could come buy you lunch yeah, and they would, you know, bring you all this cool stuff and you had mouse pads and pens and all jackets from all the different drug companies. They would shower offices with gifts that were large prescribers of their drug, sure. right? And that became illegal because then they were essentially buying your decision was the, the thought process. Yeah. So... The drug companies are no longer allowed to provide to a provider any any sort of drug paraphernalia, pens, mouse pads, nothing, unless they're giving you a teaching. If they teach you about their drug, so if there's a class involved, then they can do it. But they can't just do it willy-nilly. Yeah. But they can do it to all the politicians, all MSNBC, ABC, CBS, yeah. Fox. They can do it to any marketing whatever, right? So how many times have I had a patient come to me and not even about COVID, just come to me and ask me about a drug that they saw on the fucking TV? Mm -hmm. Will this help me? No, because that's for eyelashes. (laughs) It doesn't help you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not going to be what you need to... what you want it to be. And in the case of somebody who's dealing with as large numbers as Fauci and Fauci earning almost a half a million dollars from the United States government, he's the highest paid uh, executive branch employee in the United States government. Yeah, higher than the president. Higher than the president. Um, you know, thing the the way they can compensate him would th- would be things like um, we're going to set up an investment fund for your kids, right? Okay. Um, once you retire, from we the landscaped your yard for you. Yeah. <laughs> once you retire, um, this you know corporation in Bermuda will hire you as a consul- consultant. Be on the board, a million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, there's so many different ways mm-hmm. for this corruption to take place. Yes. It the the idea that these companies, these billion-dollar companies, aren't using these mechanisms to enrich their government minions. Uh, anybody who thinks that's not happening is just they, – they, they don't have much of a brain. Or at least they don't understand how business operates. Well, no, they don't. But back to the initial part of this, Carson, is the remdesivir section. So back to that, the reason I think that they were so pushing for the remdesivir is because, one, it's expensive <laughs> – and every time you use that drug, the company, Gilead, who uses it, is going to make a lot of money off of it. Yep. So you've got Fauci now touting it, 
the average consumer doesn't know the difference. The average person is like, just give me whatever makes me better. I don't care if it's if it's frog turds. Give me, I'll eat it. I don't care. Just I want to get better. Yeah. Right. So I read a study from uh, where did it come from? It was off of Medscape um, that said remdesivir only is like a benefit. It's like a thirty percent benefit possibly, but the cohort study was like. 27 people yeah so like that doesn't mean squat well when it comes to run deaths of your 27 people is more than enough <laughs> <laughs> so says big pharma so says big pharma so i think that you know granted the, the study was obviously way underpowered but also 30 percent they're not talking about the negative side effect there was no negatives in the entire thing yet you and i both know people have died yeah. After receiving, within days of receiving remdesivir. Yeah. Now, they didn't receive, like you said, they didn't receive monoclonal antibodies and remdesivir. Yeah. They only received remdesivir. And it should be clear that the remdesivir does not produce that outcome in everyone. Correct. It does not. That's why That's why at the outset I, I called it a crapshoot. It's a gamble. It is, it is a gamble, but I think, I think it's unfair for a society or for medical society to use only that drug as their crapshoot drug when there's other drugs that seem to have a better, more safe profile yeah. that are good crapshoot drugs, like whether it was the hydroxychloroquine BS or the ivermectin conversation, there's conversations to be had on both fronts, you know? Yeah. I just did a uh, presentation today. It hasn't gone up yet. I recorded it before you and I got together today, um, in which I looked at Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and uh, his, what I'm calling, home protocols. Mm-hmm. Um Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. his home Tim, protocol. Tim Pool. Uh, yeah, I've, I've talked about, you know, my living in ketosis and um, exercising six or seven days a week and the fact that I take one and only one supplement, which is vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I eventually, out of curiosity, went and had a SARS-CoV-2 specific memory T-cell test and came up positive. So at some point in the last 22 months, I was infected with the virus, but I haven't been sick. I haven't felt bad in any way. Yeah ever since this thing started, okay? So I discussed these protocols, okay? So we, we know that Rogan and Rogers, they both involved ivermectin, zinc, and D. There's some other stuff. like And monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies. Yes. Yeah. And I know Rogan was on, you know, a three-day vitamin drip. Okay. Right, yeah. and Hydra and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, in, in both of them said, I mean, Rogan said three days into it, he said, I feel great. Yeah, he felt way better. Um, uh, Roger said, you know, he took this stuff for a couple of days. He said, I feel incredible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I would love to say that I felt that way, but I never was sick. So You never felt bad. Uh, yeah. So, so you have nothing you know, compared to. <laughs> so apparently my, my sort of, I'll call it my life protocol, <laughs> right. um, served me well. And the, the point of the presentation that, that I am about to put up is that, there is no database for what works. Okay? So the only message about what works is coming out of big farm and government. Right. Uh, if, oh, this is a podcast. I can, I can speak more freely. Um, I, when you look outside the United States, yeah. most other parts of the world consider ivermectin a powerful tool against COVID-19. If used early. Yes, absolutely. The, yeah, the, Let's couch that in, like, if used at the onset of symptoms yes, within or, the first three days. Or testing positive. Or testing positive. Yes. Not 
hospital-bound patients. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the not not intubated or or high-flow nasal cannula patients stuck in the ICU. Yeah. By the time you're fucked, ivermectin is not going. Ivermectin is not going to help you. Yeah. Um, you have a very good point. Thank you for bringing that up. But people who have taken ivermectin around the globe, yeah, upon uh, either testing positive or first symptoms. Uh, have done extraordinarily well. India, many parts of India credit the the fact that their numbers are uh, almost, given their population, they're four times the population of the United States. Their numbers are almost down to zero. Right. Okay. Um, as a percentage, they're doing spectacularly better than the United States. They are kind of horrible at data, though. Yeah, there's so some question marks there. Yeah. Mount infected versus. Well, I mean, don't get, I'm not. I'm just. I'm trying to play devil's advocate yeah. here. And they've know. got a lot of rural area. They that's got a lot very of rural. poor rural areas. Correct. Yeah. So then you, you're not garnering all the data in the way you might like. Absolutely true. Um, but in the big cities, they're doing a fairly decent yeah. job. Um, and I don't trust anything coming out of China, by the way, because they stopped counting deaths. Yes. Yeah. You can't. I think there was millions dead in yeah. the beginning of this, and they stopped at eighty-six thousand. Yeah. So whatever. Um, so but just, anyway, I'm letting you know that's where sure. I'm at. I don't. I don't look at any of the China data either. I mean, even if we get out of. Um, if we get out of India and we go to South America, right. the, the ivermectin has a tremendous reputation down there. Correct. Um, so, my you can point, write it. You can write it for some way today, but then the pharmacy won't fill it. In some places, that's true. Yes, here. Um, it, it's just, but but the point being this, um, and I brought this up in the presentation. Um, you and I both are pretty voracious news um, followers mm-hmm. because we we want to keep abreast of what the the narrative is. Correct. Um, so a lot of times we're reading lies and we know it, but, but we want to know what lies are out there. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, and here in this country, the narrative about ivermectin is completely different, but uh, you know, it's here, a horse to wormer. It's a horse to uh, wormer. Uh, we're going to talk about ignorance. Uh, CNN was MSNBC. They were all speaking the horse oh, to wormer yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Of course, you know, it, Ivermectin is on whose list of essential medications for humans. Yes. They never bring that up. No, not or that it won the Nobel Prize. Right, right. For, for humans, not <laughs> for, for humans, not, not, not for, for animals. Not for horses. <laughs> um, but there's, there's absolutely no database that we can go and say, okay, um, here in the United States... I'm just going to throw an arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. 31,000 people upon first symptoms took ivermectin, and none of them ended up going to the hospital with serious COVID-19. Right. There's no database for that. Do you know why? I can tell you why. Okay. Because for the first time, for the very first time ever in medicine, we didn't treat you at onset of disease. Correct. For the very first time, you come in with it and fucking scratch on your leg, we're going to give you some damn antibiotics in case it was a cat and you're going to get some infection. You come in with a bloody nose, we're going to not be like, well, go home. And if you die of bleeding, then you didn't make it. <laughs> I mean, we're going right, to stop right. the bleeding and help you. We're the very first time in medicine's history did we say, look, you got COVID. We know you can't breathe very well, but go home. Good luck to you. Yeah. I hope you feel better in a few days, and if not, come back. Okay. So I think a lot of people wonder why, given the high regard in which ivermectin is held around the world outside the United States, right? I think people wonder why the narrative is so different here. Um, is it because we don't have the, what is it, the river blindness? Well, <laughs> federal regulations prohibit 
the FDA from granting emergency use authorization to a vaccine if there is an efficacious treatment available in the country. Ooh. Yes. So... How's that going to work with the new Pfizer bill? Well, it's, it's already been granted. The emergency use authorization is already been granted. But then they, once they, they, they can't they, remove it after the fact. They would have been prohibited from granting it if the establishment here in the United States has said, you know, it does actually appear that ivermectin is efficacious as a treatment. If they said that, FDA could not have granted the emergency use authorization. For the vaccine, which which is the vaccine, the therapeutic. Yes, we talked about um, the fact that, you know, I think the last numbers I looked at was 247 million Americans have been vaccinated. Or had the virus. What that comes out to, I, I talked about this in the presentation today, is that we- 67% of the U.S. Yeah, but is it number-wise um, between Moderna, Pfizer, and uh, was it- Johnson uh, & Johnson. BioNTech, not, not Johnson. Um, $61 million in a year. Wow. Okay, $61 million. So when people hear the adverse narrative against ivermectin in this country, they have to understand that if if the establishment had actually stood up and said, yes, this is an efficacious treatment, big pharma would never have made $61 million. And mRNA technology would not have been pushed forward a decade. Ah, there you go. Okay. so ivermectin is cheap. Yeah. Oh, pennies, yeah. So I think it's really important for people to understand that that the U.S. narrative on ivermectin is not driven by science. It's not driven by observational studies. It's not driven by clinical trials. It's driven by politics and money. Right. Yeah. And by the way, when you said follow the the people behind the curtain or whatever, when you were talking about all the people behind the system that are making money from it. Yeah. So a lot of things posted online about ivermectin or about anything remdesivir gets fact checked and you'll see a post come up on Instagram, Twitter, fact check, fact check, fact check. Oh yeah. So factcheck.org is a website that shows up regularly in my personal feed. Okay. So I went to factcheck.org their website and i looked at all of the employees of factcheck.org i researched every one of them okay awesome i love that not one of them is a doctor of course not one of them is a medical professional every there's only one person that has a phd on the entire group of people who work there it's probably not science no it's journalism (laughs) because every one of them is a journalist yeah every single person that works at factcheck.org is a journalist and they're going to fact check the shit that I put out on a medical podcast or a medical position or a meme about some medical stuff. Granted, memes are supposed to be somewhat comedy. And I know comedy is no longer a thing. We can't have to cancel every comedian in the fucking world now. But the point is, is that if I put something out there and it gets fact checked by these douchebags, like that makes no sense to me. Oh, yeah. A journalist, a journalist that used to work at the New York Times or a journalist that used to work for uh, the Chicago Tribune is now working at factcheck.org and they know, like, if you know the facts, why don't you post them, dude? Like, if you're saying this isn't factual. All they do is they reference some establishment website such as CDC or NIH or American Heart Association. Which you and I both know are also wrong. Yes, frequently. Frequently wrong. So all they do is they go out to establishment sources, which they never fact check, by the way. No, no, no. They don't yeah. fact check the establishment. 
Never. Let's Never. not fact check them. Let's just fact check the people who are against them or who are driving a different narrative. Yeah, and the other thing is they don't fact check. Uh, a lot of these fact check organizations are owned by media companies. And they, Hence the, all the journalism. And they don't fact check their competitors because they don't want their competitors fact checking them. So, right. so the two things that are off limits for fact checkers are things said by competitive media sources and uh, things put out by the establishment. Right. Which means that all they're really trying to do is um, support and maintain and claim that the establishment narrative is the only credible narrative, which is pretty much sort of Orwellian, communistic, you know, what the government says is right and everybody else is wrong. Right. Okay. Um, Let's, you want to take a look at this, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Um, Molnup. Paravir? Yeah, Molnupiravir. Okay. okay, that's uh, that's the new drug that Pfizer Pfizer's coming out with. Yeah, it's new COVID treatment. Yeah, the COVID that's, treatment, which okay. to me says that the vaccine mandates can go the fuck away. If you have a treatment, it's not the agenda, but yes, <laughs> no, it's not the agenda. But if, on, a, if, on a rational basis, on a rational, yeah, on yeah. a on a let, let's think about this as human normal people would. Oh, if you have a treatment for it, yeah. I don't need to be vaccinated against it. So. Uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who is a former uh, FDA commissioner, yes, he recently said of this drug I can't pronounce, the, the Pfizer. Of course, we can't pronounce any of the damn yes. drug names because I told you they throw shit on a Scrabble board. Right. They, scroll th- they throw Scrabble tiles on a pool table, and whatever it spells, when they throw it out there, the letters, <laughs> that's the name of the drug. So he said that um, this new Pfizer product is the, quote, the end of the pandemic, close quote. So- I don't know if you you remember this, but I remember that the vaccine was originally the end of the pandemic. Well, that that was the pitch, right? Correct. But see, Fauci has purposefully moved the The goalpost every time. So initially he said it was if 60% get vaccinated, I think it was 60 or 56% get vaccinated, we're good. And then it was 70 something. And then it was 80 something. And then it was 90. It's constantly moving. Yeah. And never, like you'll never reach it. You'll never succeed. And of course, uh, for reasons we're going to get into shortly, um, if 100% of the population was vaccinated, it would still not end uh, what they call a pandemic. By the way, I, I think we're at like, as far as the U.S. death toll, we're at like 2.1 tenths of 1%. Okay. Um, so by the earlier World Health Organization definition of pandemic, uh, this would not qualify as a pandemic. Not only that, but the average age of death is older than the average age of death for normal people in the U.S. Yeah, just outside the It's the, like the 70, context, 77 you know? years old or whatever, 76 years old, and the average age of death is 74. Yeah. So average life expectancy for a, a human in the United States is like yeah. 74 years. And, of course, Pfizer is saying that uh, their new uh, COVID treatment pill mm-hmm. Uh, reduces hospitalizations and death by 90%. Now, the UK... Where did we hear that before? Right. The, <laughs> the UK has already signed contracts to have a massive amount of this new Pfizer drug sent Of course they the have. Uh, here just shortly, within the next week or two, it's going to be evaluated for emergency use authorization by the FDA. I think it's important to note that Pfizer's claims, uh, its data that, that it claims supports its number of 90% um, have not been provided to anyone they've not been published no it is merely Pfizer making a claim so 
Um, we know that historically, Pfizer has actually been fined hundreds of millions of dollars for falsifying trial data information on drugs. Yes. Uh, we also know, you remember this, um, the first claims of Pfizer concerning its mRNA vaccine for SARS-CoV-2 was 90% efficacy at preventing infection. That's what I mean, right. Okay. Um, and then we found out that that wasn't remotely true in the real world. No, it was, re- it was true for the first day on the first hour you got the <laughs> vaccine. Yeah. The first day in the first hour that you got your second dose, yeah. you were 90%. After that, it started to wane. I knew we were in trouble. and I, You probably saw the story since you do work in hospitals in Vegas. This goes back quite a few months now. Um, there was a pool party of hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I highlighted on my show. Okay. Yeah. So uh, 11 of the participants ended up testing positive after that pool party. Yeah, but eight of them had a vaccine. Eight of them, eight of them were vaccinated. Were vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. So, yeah, do the math on that shit, right? Well, here's my question. Why did we not look at the person who wasn't? There was one person who didn't get COVID. Yeah. Why didn't we look at them? What's the difference? Why didn't they fucking get it? Dude, you, you why, why are we not looking at the people? Like, I have family members that have got COVID, and, like, her fat husband didn't get COVID. Yeah. She did, and she's, they slept in the same bed. Yeah. She was she was breastfeeding her child. She had just had a kid, still breastfeeding her baby, and her other young son was there at home doing his thing. No one else in the family got it. But she got it, and she had a really bad case of it. She didn't go to the hospital, but she felt really sick. Yeah. She didn't get monoclonal antibodies. She didn't get any ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine to treat her. She just sucked it up like a good Wyoming girl does and dealt with it. But guess what? Nobody was like, let's look at her husband and find out why he didn't get it. Yeah. What is the difference in his DNA? What is the difference in his blood? What's what's different? Why didn't he get it? What makes that difference? Because if we could identify that, yes, then you could go through a group of people and say, okay, this person won't get it. This person now we could identify what it's truly attacking. Yeah, innate immunity. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's shift because this is going on and on and on, which I love. I but, love it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'll share with the audience something I shared with Tyler, which is <laughs> I'm real. I was really excited to do this because. Um, I do vodcasts. In other words, there are video presentations, and the audio part goes up on the podcast side. So because of video presentations, video audiences don't want an hour-long content. Um, so I have to keep things very short. So this is a luxury to sit here with my friend. The long form. <laughs> and, and, and kick around subjects we both feel passionately about for essentially as long as it takes. Right. You're, you got to hand over a button. Are, are you about oh, to no. go out? Oh, no, I'm just going to start playing. We'll go to commercial for a minute, okay. and then we'll start this next section. Okay. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, great. All right, cool. Medically unbiased. And we're back to another section of Medically Unbiased, hanging out with my friend Dave Champion. You can find all of his information at drreality.news. You can go to his website. You can buy his book, uh, Body Science. It's all about how to live a better life. It gives you a lot of information, the physiology behind what... uh, is making your body 
do what it's doing and how food affects your body, uh, how fat isn't really the enemy, how cholesterol isn't that big of a problem. I mean, it really goes into the science, true in-depth science that we've known for years that other doctors and other people have researched, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. You should really check it out. So before I get back with Dave here, I want to talk to you about HVAC. You need to have, oh, there's a dog barking. You should really check out your air conditioning. So my buddy, Forrest, if you're in Arizona, you need to contact Grizzly Mechanical. Grizzly Mechanical will take care of all of your needs in Phoenix and the Phoenix area. They will take care of all your HVAC needs. Give them a call, grizzlymechanical.com or grizzlyac.com. You can go to either site. They'll get you set up, get you ready to roll with all of your HVAC needs. And it's a good time to do it now because get your stuff ordered. The supply chain is kind of a mess, so it's hard to get all your AC equipment. It might be months. Order it now when it's cool. Order it now when it's less expensive. Do it before it's 110 degrees in Phoenix. So call my friend Forrest, and uh, he'll get you taken care of. We're back with Dave. What's up, Dave? Okay, I'm going to start this out by reading something, if you don't mind, because uh, I tend to ramble, but when I write, I'm much more succinct. Oh, okay. And this should give the audience uh, a complete framework in which to understand the conversation that comes thereafter. Okay. So this was actually written to a friend of mine. Okay. So bear that in mind. There's a couple comments here that seem perhaps like I'm speaking to somebody, and I am. (laughs) Okay. It says this, sometimes... I know something is so, even if I've not, sorry, I'm trying to read around the microphone. Um, Sometimes I know something is so, even if I've not yet uncovered the mechanism. I've been saying the reason the vaccines don't activate production of memory T cells is because all the vaccines produced is is an S-spike protein, which is a far cry from a complete viral pathogen. Absent having the complete pathogen from which to build a, quote, profile, there is no way for the body to create memory T cells. That process requires complete pathogen data. A fragment is insufficient. Turns out the complete antigen is taken up into B cells, where the antigen is broken into MHC2 peptide complexes and, quote, recognized, thus establishing the aforementioned profile. That profile is transmitted to CD4 T cells, which we know differentiate into various types of T cells, including memory T cells. As you've probably read, what causes a CD4 T cell to differentiate into memory T cells is, quote, poorly understood, close quote. Not to me. A CD4 cell only differentiates into a memory T cell after a B cell transmits a pathogen profile to the CD4 T cell. Absent the existence of a pathogen profile, there is zero need for the body to produce memory T cells. So the CD4 T cells differentiate into other non-memory versions. A pathogen profile is the key that activates production of memory T cells. This process is built to work from a complete profile. A fragment, fragment won't trigger the production. While creating a pathogen profile is the job of the B cells, creating a record of which types of T cells were differentiated in order to overcome the pathogen is the job of the dendritic cells. 
All of this data is eventually transferred to and retained by memory T-cells. However, if there is insufficient pathogen profile data in the form of NHC2 peptide complexes from which to signal CD4 cells to differentiate into memory T-cells, there is no location in which to store any of the data. And then I go on to talk about the, the understanding of why MHC peptide tetramer staining technology is the only type of technology that actually proves the existence of memory T-cells and why the um, industry-funded studies that claim the vaccines produce <laughs> memory T-cells don't use MHC peptide tetramer staining technology because it will prove straight up, thumbs up or thumbs down, if it's working. whether those memory T-cells exist. Right. All the studies that claim memory T-cells exist have never touched that technology. All of their conclusions are implied or inferential. So, for instance, they'll find interleukin-2, and they'll say, well, interleukin-2 is highly associated with uh, CD8 and CD4 T-cells, so there must be memory must T-cells. Be. Must be. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Science doesn't work that way. Well, it does now. Yeah. So it's, it's the way I want it to work, so therefore it works that way. Yeah. So I guess the, the takeaway, I know that was people were kind of going, what did what? he just say? Yeah, there's a lot of science in that in that four paragraphs. There's yeah. a lot of science in there. So I think the important thing is this. Um, depending on how you look at the anatomy of a virus, there's someplace between 16 to 19 um, individual characteristics that, uh, of the anatomy of a virus that, that cumulatively render that virus unique. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like, almost like a fingerprint, if you will. And what happens is the B cells actually absorb a whole virus. And then they take that virus and they break it down to the MHC uh, peptide complexes, which the way I, I, I'm hoping to characterize it to people is that it's like creating, it's, it's like digitizing something. Right. Okay. So I've got this, this here that's not digital, but, but I want to store this in a way that's meaningful. So I'm going to digitize it. Okay. So that's kind of the analogy I'm using to what the B cells do when they break the virus apart and they create these MHC to peptide complexes, mm-hmm. they're digitizing the data. That, that's the analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then storing that data. Well, they don't store it. They actually transmit it to the CD4 T cells. Which uh, then store it. It, it. Well, the CD... Now, I want to be clear that the part I'm saying now mm-hmm. is uh, my hypothesis, which I'm 1,000% confident is 100% correct. Okay. Okay. I want to be clear. It's a hypothesis, but it's so obvious. It's like right. to call it a hypothesis is almost like, really? The earth round. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's not completely round. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so anyway, um, what happens is the B cells transmit the data set mm-hmm. over to the CD4 T cells. Um, CD4 T cells differentiate into different kinds of T cells, but um, the absolutely certain hypothesis has that right. um, is that CD4 T cells only differentiate into memory T cells after they've received the data set from the B cells. Makes sense. Well, that's, okay. and that has to be that way. Otherwise, you're, you're not creating the CD4 cells. Well, why would you need a memory T cell if you don't have any data? Right. Right. Okay. So I don't need the storage space. If I don't right. have anything to store. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't, if you don't, in, in this pathogen profile, that that's another term I created in order to help illustrate to people the the, the everybody understands profile. Right? right. Right. They go on Facebook. They create a profile. Profile. So 
the this data set that I'm, I'm talking about, that the, the B cell breaks it down into the MHC2 peptide uh, complex, mm-hmm. that data set um, is, is the profile. It's the pathogen profile, but it's based on uh, the B cell consumes or takes into itself the entire virus. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's why the people who have already been infected have a better immunity than the people who had a vaccine. Yes. So what happens is um, that fingerprint mm-hmm. of the virus then gets transmitted to the CD4 T cell, and the CD4 T cell says, "Ah, this is the pathogen profile <laughs> that that a memory T cell needs." So it then differentiates into a memory T cell. Okay. Okay. Pretty straightforward stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. Even though science is a little, I hate to say this sounds arrogant as hell. Uh, science is a little bit behind me on this, right? Um, and I don't mean they're behind me. I mean they're, they're behind you. Yeah, behind you. I'm, I'm, they're, they're not catching up fast enough. How's that? Right. Um, so that's the first part of the equation. The second part of the equation is that the dendritic cells they keep track of which forms of T cells, the, the base T cells, the CD8s, and the CD4s, which forms they differentiate into, effector T cells, killer T cells, memory T cells, and so forth, uh, of which there's... They're essentially... With, with subsets, there's like 20. They're essentially the Rolodex. Yes. So the, the dendritic cells, they keep track of that differentiation. Okay. How did, how did that structure work? How many killer T cells did we have? Uh, how many effector T cells did we have? And so forth. Okay. But then guess what? The dendritic cells also provide that information to the CD4 T cells. Okay, so these redundancy. So the memory CD4. I'm sorry. The the after the CD4 differentiates into the memory T cell, the memory T cell create uh, uh, maintains not only the pathogen profile but also the structural profile of how the body responded to defeat the pathogen. Okay. So it's got the equation and it's got the profile. Right. Okay. So it's got the problem and the solution. Correct. Great way to put that. Okay, so here's the problem with the vaccines, and I think this is really critical for people to understand. What the vaccine does, the the uh, mRNA vaccine, um, and to, also... All, to digress for one second, the hilarity of all of this is that no one gave a shit about any of this until this pandemic. Oh, right, right, right. Um, Average person, I mean. Yeah. People so, did. We did. We were nerds. But yeah. There's so, a lot of people who didn't. Like the Azteca thing, it, it does the same thing as the RMA, but it starts with the DNA. Okay. <laughs> right. But for people, I'm, I'm not going to go too into depth to this, but what happens is the, the vaccine enters one of your cells and it, uh, it signals something called transcription. And so what happens is Inside the cell, your own cell's genomes produce a part of the virus. Yeah, that's that's right. how these vaccines work. And the part of the virus that they produce in this particular case with this particular coronavirus is the S-spike protein. You've probably all seen that in the news. So now we've got this S-spike protein, and, a law, and that does engender a response of neutralizing antibodies. Okay. With the same yes. spike protein. Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the now when these B cells take up the pathogen, it's not the virus. It's not that fingerprint. It doesn't have that 15, 16, 18, 19 points of interest. Different in unique factors. Mm-hmm. It's 
only one of those. It's a spike protein, period. Correct, which is not very, enough to identify. It's very narrow, very narrow spectrum. So uh, here's where things get a little fuzzy, and I'm, I'm sure research could clear it up. Because there is not really a pathogen profile, there's just a tiny fragment of what should be there, does B, do B cells actually transmit the information to the memory T cells? We don't have that information right now. Mm, no, but we can make the hypothesis that it doesn't because it, the well, efficacy wanes over time. Well, even if it did, it may be a case that the uh, CD4 T cells say, dude, that's not enough data for us to differentiate into memory T cells. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe they don't. Eat, maybe none of it even operates that way. Right. So my point is, where does the breakdown occur? Is it, right. Is it that the B cells say I don't have enough data to transmit, or is it right. the CD4 cells say I haven't received we, during that transmission? I didn't receive enough data to react on. Right. Okay. Almost like in a broken phone conversation, you're going through a tunnel, and yeah. all you hear is, "Hey, can you help me?" But that's it. So all you know is that someone needs help. You don't know where they are. Right. What they're doing. What's wrong. What yeah. the problem is? What help do they need? Do they need help with a math problem or are they dying? Like, what's the help that they're looking for here? So neutralizing antibodies, I, I mentioned a moment ago that the spike protein does engender a, uh, a neutralizing antibody response from the body's immune, ad- the adaptive immune process. Um, that's very natural, very normal. Our bodies typically do that all the time to various pathogens if they're considered pathogenic. Um, so... But but neutralizing antibodies, in their very nature, are temporary. Why? Because of memory T cells. <laughs> right. You, you don't need to, to produce it. and have circulating in your bloodstream neutralizing antibodies all the time because the neutralizing antibodies, their job is to go out and, and kick ass and defeat the pathogen, right? Right. So once that's done... Learn how to, learn how to beat it and remember how to beat it so that later yes. they can beat it if it comes back. Yes, and you can marshal all those resources in the snap of a finger later. Right. Okay. So the neutralizing antibodies, once they do their job, once the pathogen has been defeated, they fade. It is absolutely... They don't turn off like a light switch. They just fade away. Right. Okay? The macrophage function of the body, it, it eventually consumes them, and there are certain kinds of T cells that actually uh, diminish the effect of neutralizing antibodies over time, because otherwise you might develop a negative immune response if they continue to be uh if they continue to react strongly to something that isn't present right okay. or so, start to consume you <laughs> yes so eventually they fade away uh, it's very common that neutralizing antibodies fade away someplace between four and eight months depends on the pathogen depends on the person and so forth there is no hard and fast rule for that now for four to eight months huh uh, what the average there are six which coincidentally happens to be just about the point where you need a booster. Very little protection from the neutralizing, uh, very little protection from the vaccine. Based mRNA, on quote unquote, vaccine. Yes, quote unquote. <laughs> so the reason for that is the the body, it's the body that creates the spike. Right. And it's the body that creates the neutralizing antibody response to the spike. And it's the body's. Uh, neutralizing antibodies that defeat the spikes that destroy them, okay? Uh, all that is totally natural, as is this thing that now the public knows as waning, right? Okay? Uh, which is just nothing more than fading away. Right. Okay. So then it fades away, and the immunity, such as it is, um, the nat- neutralizing antibodies, they fade away. With that, uh, you 
if, let's say they feed it to A to zero, just for the point of illustration. Right. Uh, people would be just as prone to infection as if they'd never been vaccinated, and they'd be just as prone to um, uh, moderate or severe COVID as as if they'd never been vaccinated. Because their body will not build an immune response to it because it doesn't know it needs to. No memory T cells to do that with. Right. right? So every single shot is a temporary fix is really what it boils down to. Because to me, this is just like the flu. You have to have a flu, quote unquote, vaccine every year. That's a fucking therapeutic. That's not a vaccine. Now, what happens is when these vaccine neutralizing antibodies wane, they don't wane 100%. I use that only for illustrative examples. Correct. So they, they wane to say 60% or 48% or 39%. We've heard but that's, the, that's only numbers we have. We don't know Correct. further than that. Correct. And we've because heard, we haven't been further than that. And we've heard differing numbers from all over the globe. Correct. Okay. So, Correct. so we don't know whether it's 60, 40, 33, 24. You know, <laughs> right. you know. Uh, we know it's nowhere near uh, 95 that yeah. was promised. Yeah. It was never 100% at best. On, on the best day of the best circumstances, it was 95%, and then it begins to wane. Correct. Um, I saw speed one, is different for everybody. I saw one study that said they start to wane in a, at a noticeable level by two and a half months. Okay. Okay. Um, by six months, you don't have much protection left. That's right. just the reality. And it would be that way with your with your body based on the uh, natural infection from the wild virus. Okay. Correct. No difference in that but, regard. But the difference is the difference is you would have a memory from the wild virus. Correct. And you, this doesn't build a memory. Yes. So this creates an interesting dilemma. So somebody goes out and they get, they get the vaccine. I think if we were to line up a hundred people who have been vaccinated and ask that hundred people, how many of them thought that after they had their uh, initially, after they mm-hmm. had their second shot, they were protective for life. Um, they like ninety nine percent of them would say yes at the time. Yes, yes. Okay, they thought they were two shots. I'm protected. I'm I, good. I felt like I had a bullet. I was walking into rooms without masks on. Fucking, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't doing that. <laughs> oh, I was just reading an article today where people were saying that now. You know, now that I'm vaccinated, I'm, I'm getting back to my life. But the problem is, that six months later, you don't have very much protection left. And if if you didn't choose a booster. By eight or nine months, I mean, we right. haven't even seen the figures on that. Nobody's talking about that. No. But if you don't have the booster and you get to eight, nine, ten months, I mean, you're... I'm there now. What, whatever protection exists would have to be like, you know, 8%, 9%. So I had the Moderna okay. vaccine. I got both shots, obviously. I was fully vaccinated, which I hate that term because either you are or you're not. Yeah. Either you've received the vaccine, which is a serious... Like, you can't... A hep B vaccine is three different doses over the course of months. Yeah. Okay. It's not weeks. It's not. It's months. Yeah. So you're not vaccinated against hep B unless you've been through all three of the shots. Yeah. It's it's a staged process. Correct. Yeah. So this just needs to. This whole half vaccinated bullshit needs to stop. That narrative needs to go away. Yes. But I received Moderna in January. I received my first dose and a December second dose in January. So we were one of the first ones to get it. We worked in the hospital. Sure. The irony is the CEO was the first person to get the dose in that hospital. The CEO of Mountain View Hospital was the first person to get the dose at Mountain View Hospital. He doesn't see patients. Right. He doesn't treat patients. He's a business guy. He He has an MBA. You might have just been trying to set an example. You never know. At the time, there was only so many doses and only so people could get them. Ah. I'm just saying that if you're the businessman, the example you said is, I want my people who treat patients to be protected, not... Save me! Right, right. Like to, I looked at it when he got that vaccine as he was pushing women and children out of the way to save his own ass on the lifeboat 
as the right, right. as the Titanic sank. Like he was the dude. I'm gonna help people and shoving people in the fucking ocean while <laughs> so he, he saved could get himself. the lifeboat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how I viewed it, and I still think of it that way because I don't really care. But <laughs> my point is, is that I'm now. It's now December, November, almost December. I'm 11 months since my second dose. So I'm due for, and I've been messaged, and they've sent, the hospital sent me an email and a, and a text and another email and a follow-up email about getting my booster because I fit in the criteria for boosters. They've made a criteria based on if you work with high risk, you know, in a high risk environment. And while I work in a high risk environment, I work in a hospital. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not getting a booster. Well, you don't. CDC has been threatening to change its definition of fully vaccinated. They already did. Oh, did they? Yes. Well, somehow I missed that story. From two two shots to three shots. Oh, they haven't switched it to three shots yet, but they did change the definition of vaccinated. Yeah, they I changed guess. that. But they are, they they are having internal discussions right now about changing the definition of fully vaccinated from two shots to three shots. Mm-hmm. Was it Italy that did that? I think they, Italy didn't. The question in my mind, because we've talked about the fact that the third the third shot doesn't do anything magical. No, okay. it just it, it just it gives, gives you another six, six months. months. <laughs> yeah. um, so my Kicks question the is: can down the road is what are, it does. are they going to have the balls six months from now, five months from now, more realistically, to say yes? Now you need a fourth shot. Yes, they have. The, yes, that's coming. And, yes. and following that decision shortly thereafter, saying, "Well, we're going to change the definition of fully vaccinated to four shots." I don't think they'll ever change the definition of fully vaccinated. I think it'll become an annual vaccination. Mm. I think, or semi-annual, or semi-annual, depending on their their waning definition or the amount that it's efficacious over yeah. time. Don't get me wrong. I feel there's a couple things that couch this conversation in. First is I think that the vaccine, I initially was against it. I was really against the vaccine, um, but I'm not against the vaccine in its entirety anymore. I'm against the vaccine for a certain subset of the population. I don't think kids need it. I don't think people under 18 need this vaccine. I think it's stupid. Vaccinate the shit out of the 60 to 90-year-olds or 60 and above. Vaccinate all of them. I think it's beneficial for them. You know, but I don't think so. I, to be clear, I don't think we've truly viewed this as the disease it is. We are applying to every person equally the same treatment. Absolutely. Instead of differentiating between age groups and high risk groups. I mean, the kids that have died all had some comorbidity, cancer, leukemia. Serious comorbidities, serious too. Yeah. Comorbidities. Not like they were obese. I mean, there's been obese kids that have recovered from COVID. I'm saying the kids that died from COVID had probably wouldn't have died from COVID. They would have died from the other disease that was killing them. Yes. Anyway, of the 450 or whatever the number is now. I don't remember what it is. 450 last, I thought. 458. It's in like that ballpark, yeah. So- I'm just saying we when we when I talk about vaccines, like my dad asked me, should by, I get? By the, the way, vaccine? if I can interrupt for yeah, one yeah, second, yeah, yeah. Um, seventy-four million children. Yes. Okay, that well, I don't like the word children. Uh, seventy-four million people are under the age of eighteen in this country. How's that? Seventeen, okay. seventeen and below. Yeah, seventy-four yeah. million. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So anybody who's sitting at home can do the math. 
Um, all you have to do is take 450 and divide it by 74 million. <laughs> 330 million U.S. <laughs> and, and residents. Then, and then carry the decimal point two points to the right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, then you will have the fraction of 1%. I mean, it's so small. It's, it's so such a small number. Tiny. But those people didn't die from COVID. They died from their comorbidities. Yeah. And so all, there's zero. And honestly, you know, if, if you were to suddenly, if we could just wave our magic wand and vaccinate that 74 million, um, if. Anyone without com- comorbidities, anyone, even one, dies of something like myocarditis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that the, the companies cannot be sued at this point, <laughs> uh, but there's just no, no excuse, zero. If it's just one child without a comorbidity, right. that's one child more than You're, would have died without the vaccine. Well, and see, that's what I'm saying is that if, if we're not treating people based on the risk group or risk factor or where they fit in the risk profile, then we are doing a disservice to society. Like I constantly am describing risk and reward benefit to a patient. So if a patient comes in and they've got chest pain and we do a stress test on the patient and they show a positive stress test and they show the need for us to go look, right? We now need to do an angio. So I have to get, an interventional cardiologist involved in a discussion about going in and doing an angio. That's not a zero risk procedure. It's a low risk procedure because there's so many of them done, but it's not zero risk. So I need to have this conversation with the patient and I need to say, and so will the interventional cardiologist. There will be multiple conversations before we just go stabbing them in the leg and running a wire up into their heart to see if they got a clot. Okay. We're not doing that. We're going to have a conversation with this person, but it's based on risk. So why can I not have the same conversation based on the vaccine? Yeah. Well, it's risk-based, right? So if you're 75 years old, like my father came to me, he goes, should I get the vaccine? I'm like, I don't know, Dad. What do you think? You're not around a lot of people. You don't go a lot of places. Does he have any comorbidities? He has. He's obese, you know, but... Which is a big comorbidity in this disease process at his age. But 80%, 80% hospitalizations are obese. Correct. But he doesn't have anything else. Like he, he doesn't smoke. He doesn't have lung cancer. He doesn't have diabetes. He doesn't have, like there's nothing else. Okay. So I told him, I said, look, you'll probably benefit from it, but you don't have to get it. It's up to you. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you to run out and get it because I think you're going to die from COVID. Right? I don't think that. On the flip side, I'm not going to tell you to not get it. This is something you need to weigh for yourself. I can't, you know, I initially told him I probably wouldn't get it if I were you. That was initially. Mm-hmm. And then I told him later, I'm like, eh, maybe you could. We'll just see. He ended up doing it. He's fine. Whatever. No big deal. Yeah. The so, myocarditis thing scares the shit out of me, though, for kids. Because yeah. I have I have little kids. My son is nine. I'm not giving him this fucking vaccine. I wouldn't. He is six to ten times more likely to develop myocarditis if he receives this vaccine than if he doesn't. Yeah. And if he doesn't, the risk of myocarditis is like nil, next to zero. Right. right. So granted, the next to zero times ten is still next, but it's ten times more. Yeah. Why put the risk there when he has zero risk of dying from COVID? Exactly. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying that – you think that your objection to the vaccine is more along the lines of it hasn't been tailored um, as, as policy. It hasn't been tailored to the parties that need it, and there hasn't been— Early on it was. Early on it was. Like, in the beginning, it was like, okay, give it to all the old people. 
Yeah, well, because... Did, or the high-risk people. Because it wasn't generally... Available. Uh, yes. Correct. At every corner drugstore. So my objection to the vaccine... My objection is the mandate, period, but anyway. Yeah, oh, well, that's, that's, that's a different subject. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just speaking, you know, as far as just looking at it as, as, a, as you call it, a therapeutic. Right. Uh, using the name vaccine. Yeah, right. My objection is the lack of transparency. From the pharmaceutical industry? From the pharmaceutical co- co- uh, industry, from uh, the CDC, from the National Institutes of Health, from the White House, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making a political statement with that. Um, it, it's just, you know, we're supposed to be a nation, you know, by and for the people. Yeah. Um, and what's happening now is the people, there is no transparency because the most important thing is not that the people be apprised of the facts. The most important thing is that Big Pharma makes another $61 billion. Right. You know, that's the important thing. Uh, we've talked about it. We've covered, you and I have covered a tremendous amount of ground today. Yes. And I'm going to guess that uh, both members of your audience and members of my audience uh, learned quite a bit today that they didn't previously know. I would think so. Um, and they they should have been told this by, if no one else, public health officials. Not well. So really quick, let's talk about that for just a second because public health officials annoy the living shit out of me. <laughs> I am with you. Public health officials have a degree in information gathering and information like delivery. They've never fucking treated a patient ever. Yeah. Not one that I can see public health official that's prominent during this whole COVID epidemic, including Fauci, physically treated a patient in the last 40 years. Yeah. So unless you sat in front of a bunch of people and had to explain to the patient one-on-one what they need and then listen to them say no or listen to them argue with you, or listen to them debate you on why your ideology is correct or why your method of treatment is better than their perception of what Google fucking told them, then I don't think these people have a leg to stand on. So they're creating policy based on a study of 100 people or 1,000 people or whatever, and they're creating it for everyone. They haven't created it for individuals or looked at the differences between, like, okay, so nurses. Nurses, for instance, were... The saviors of the world because they were working without a vaccine and they were taking care of COVID patients. Well, most of those nurses got fucking COVID, people. Mm -hmm. They all got COVID and they're sick and they got better and they went back to work. And now they have prior infection immunity. Prior infection immunity. Some hospitals, in fact, asked the COVID positive nurses who were feeling good enough to work to come back and work in the COVID unit. Israel was doing that early on. Yes. Yes. So, wait a minute. Now they're fucking evil because they won't get a vaccine. Oh, and it should be terminated. Terminate them. Yeah. We're going to fire them for not getting vaccinated. Yeah. But it makes no sense. And when we talk about public health officials, you're right. That that's probably was not, not a prudent use of a phrase on my part because they're, <laughs> they, they come everywhere from, you know, very high-end, prestigious, knowledgeable people like... Uh, DeSantis just appointed uh, Joseph Ladapo. He, yeah, he's great like, dude. Yeah, super smart. But listen to the way he's speaking. It's yeah, much yeah. more rational, and it comes off as knowledgeable, yeah. not as dictatorial. Absolutely. That's a different conversation. When someone comes at me and they're dictatorial or they're, you know, uh, 
grandiose in their guidelines because they don't really have an answer, but they're going to yell at you louder till they give you until you accept their answer. Or they're going to punish you. Or they're going to punish you. So that's not, that's coercion. That's not me choosing. Oh, you don't, you don't get to go to dinner. You can't eat food at a restaurant. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything without a vaccine passport in New York. It's so bad in Australia. Oh, I don't, I'm scared for Australia. I'm really worried about them. I had a, uh, uh, somebody who follows my work who lives down there, uh, dropped me an email and asking me about vaccines. Yes. Um, he's, he's struggling with the issue, um, whether to stand on his principle. And, and his, his issue was this. He said the, in his, where he lives, I forget which state he lives in. Uh-huh. He said the um, restrictions are so strict that he's allowed out of the house for just one hour a day to exercise. Yeah. He, can he can't go, leave so many meters from his house. He, right. He has to be, yeah, within like half a mile or something. Um, he can go to the grocery store, and that's it. He he can't do anything else. And uh, that's a, that's supposed to be a free society. Oh yes, yes. That's yes. I mean, it's I saw a video in the very beginning of the pandemic. He said he can't get his hair cut. Right. He's not allowed to go to a barbershop. That's just weird. Well, we weren't allowed to here either. They shut him down. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, it wasn't almost two years into the deal, though. I mean, no, it was it wasn't. It was last year. Yeah. They shut down all the barbershops. You sure. couldn't go get a haircut. I was still getting haircut, but we knew, but we didn't I knew know. A guy who knew we a guy. didn't know anywhere near as much about SARS-CoV-2 as we do today. Correct. So, so today, if we shut them down, that would just be draconian. Yeah, yeah, tyrannical. Yeah, but, which is what's going on. But China, China, they were welding people in their fucking houses. Did really? you see that video? Of I that? did not. They were physically welding steel doors to the steel jams. Well, I'm glad that Australia sees itself as being just more Chinese, more more. <laughs> yeah. Just a bit more free than China. A little slightly. Yeah. Well, people were lowering their dogs from like six floor apartments with bed sheets tied to the dog's collar so he could pee and then lifting the dog back up into the apartment complex wow. because you couldn't get out of your apartment complex. That's insane. So when we say that this is a free society, it's very concerning to me that we're no longer allowed to make decisions for ourselves. And why, why do I not have to? Exp- I mean, don't get me wrong. Hospitals have had mandates for everything. I have I have a list, a laundry list of things I have to prove that I've been vaccinated against or I have to sign all these exceptions or sign all this stuff. I have to prove that I've had chickenpox, so I have to go get it tighter because I don't have a chickenpox vaccine. I'm 45 years old. I went to a party with an ugly girl that had chickenpox, and my mom sent me down the road and to give me chickenpox. That's what we did back in the 80s. We all got fucking chickenpox. So I've recovered from chickenpox. I have to prove that I have enough immunity to chickenpox. I don't have to get a vaccine. We don't do that for COVID. Just go get vaccinated. There's no proof that you've, even if you've had it, you can't go get a titer that says, oh, look, I've had COVID and I have immunity. Yeah. The the establishment, as you well know, um, has absolutely refused to consider prior infection immunity. Yeah, which despite, is the newest thing in the world. Despite all the data that it is dramatically um, more impactive, yeah, and it is more durable, right? Yeah, this we could, and we've talked about the memory T cells and all that, right? Um, despite that fact, and I think if there's one thing that indicts the establishment that shows that they're all about the money and not about the health, it's that there is absolutely no discussion about prior infection immunity. It's about get the jab or fuck you. Right. Well, the problem is is that I think, I told you this before the podcast started, I think the average person had a very large view and a high respect for 
the CDC in a high respect for the NIH. Prior to February 2020. Prior to February 2020. <laughs> I believe that that respect and that admiration and that feeling of knowledge that they possess has declined by the month. Yeah. And every time they come out with some new dictatorial or new guidance, the people who are thinking rationally about this are like, no, that's not, that's not normal. Why would we do that? My, my joke the other day was if in the beginning of the pandemic, if they said, stick your thumb up your butt, that'll save you from COVID. Bury your thumb knuckle deep into your butt, all the way up your butthole, bury it in there. You're going to be safe from COVID. And half the people don't and half the people do. And the people that do, that don't get COVID, they're going to live their lives with their finger in their butt thinking that that's helping them. Yeah, that's why they didn't, that's get, why they yeah. didn't get COVID because they stuck their thumb in their butt. They're going to walk around with their hand buried in their butt when in reality it did nothing for them. But if that's what the CDC had told them, yeah. they would have done it. So there's a, uh, speaking of prior infection immunity, there mm-hmm. is a video that's out there, and I forget the legislator's name, which is really annoying me right now. Um, <laughs> I, know I, I, I believe he's from Louisiana. Um, okay. I think his first name is Bill. I'm, I'm, my brain is putting this together very slowly. Um, and he was questioning um, CDC Director Walensky. Okay. And he was specifically wanted to know why prior infection immunity was not part of the equation. How uh, dare you? <laughs> um, you know, even one of the board members of Pfizer went public and said prior infection immunity should be part of the discussion about whether whether or not to be vaccinated. Um, and so this legislator was asking Director Walensky um, why that wasn't part of the discussion. Yeah. And she was like, well, we don't have the data, which is, of course, absurd. Um, they are data funnel. <laughs> they are they're all, data vacuum. They're Excuse all me. data. That's yeah. all they do is data. She might not have it in front of her. She may not know it off the top of her head. Yeah. But the data is available. Oh, no, no, yeah, and she wasn't saying I don't have that for you today. She was saying she means, I don't, don't have it at all. We we don't have it, right? And of course, she was trying to BS him, but she couldn't because he's an MD. Ah, you know, kind of. nice. And and he was saying, okay, so it's like the Rand Paul Fauci conversation. Yeah, and he was saying, so you know, if you have some concerns about doing this retrospectively, do it prospectively because it won't take us very long to get the 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 data. Right. Okay? And she starts talking about, well, you know, there's going to there's gonna be bias. Okay. And she, she probably threw out, in, in answering this question, around she, it. she probably threw out um, research bias about, like, well, we do that, but that research would be biased. She probably threw that out about three times. Okay. Okay. So first of all, you know this. There is no such thing as bias-free research. You, you try to reduce bias to the, the smallest possible extent. But the world is a big place. Uh, there are a lot of different factors involved. Yeah. Um, you can't control for all of them. But people who do the research come in with a perceived bias to start the research. That's why they're doing it. Yes, yes. Um, you come in with a, an opinion about how it's going to work, and you're there to either prove your opinion right or wrong. Yeah. Um, so she threw that out about three times. And then I, I don't know if you— Hypothesis. I, I know you're a very busy guy, um, but <sighs> I, I actually read— um, I'm illiterate. I don't know. I'm right. I actually read some of the um, studies. It, the audience can't see. That's in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That the CDC puts out. Okay. Um, 
their studies clearly, I mean, to use the word bias would be a gross understatement. They, they clearly <laughs> began with a conclusion that, they were, that was dictated to them by executives at CDC. Right. This is what we want the results to be because this is the, the messaging. And then they tailored it to fit This that is the narrative. messaging we want the public to get. And then the researchers went out and used the most absurd mechanisms that no valid researcher could respect in, in order to cook up headlines that say, you know, a CDC research paper suggests blah, 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 or proves blah, blah, blah. It, it, it does, it's nonsense. So my point being this, CDC is one of the most biased organizations, at, at least in terms has of become. SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it is one of the most biased research organizations that... I've come across in the last 22 months. So for Walensky to claim that they can't, she, that CDC can't do the research that the legislature was asking for because of potential bias is is obviously nonsense. Uh, CDC is incredibly biased. So <laughs> she just doesn't want to give him the data. When I when I look at her uh, attempts at deflection um, in in not giving a, any even remotely credible answer to the legislator. Uh, and in his questions about prior infection immunity, um, it dovetails with what I believed for a long time, which is that CDC and NIH absolutely do not want to look at prior infection immunity because an objective analysis, one that can be peer-reviewed as an example, <laughs> right. okay, um, an, ex- an objective analysis, objective research would show, uh, as we've seen out of Israel, that prior infection immunity is dramatically better and more durable than anything provided by the vaccines. And that's before we get into a discussion about whether or not the vaccines activate production of T cells. <laughs> We're just talking about neutralizing antibodies on their face. Right. Yeah. The, so the, the uber basics. We're not even getting into the yeah. functionality of it. And then I've heard people say things like, well, it, it's a lot harder to prove uh, if you've had SARS-CoV-2. Okay, so first of all, how many people have had PCR testing? So the people who had PCR testing and came up positive, they all they have to do is say, Here, here's my thing from 10 months ago. I came up positive. I've had it. Yeah. Um, furthermore, um, people like me who... Didn't know that you have or haven't. Yeah, apparently I was asymptomatic. Um, the government is spending at least billions, if not trillions, on the... Uh, on this whole event, right? Yes. The whole SARS-CoV-2 event. Well, it's been uh, trillions because they gave out trillions to businesses. Yeah. So, so if somebody wants to claim prior infection immunity, but they don't have any evidence of that, the government can simply do what's doing everything else, which is paying for everything and pay for people to go to have that SARS-CoV-2 specific memory T-cell test. Right. That's the same one I paid for, right? Right. So the government can pick up the tab for that. Yeah. And, and they can check antibodies. Yeah. So when the results come back positive, um, the companies that are doing the test, they can give you an officially government sanctioned approval card or result card. So when you go to a concert or when you go to a restaurant in California, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can present your your prior infection immunity but, card. But I think that's that turns into oh, I'm, I'm not, about to be wearing a yellow fucking star yeah that i'm not says saying I'm i want Jewish. to i'm not saying i think any of this is right no no no. but it, it highlights that there, there's there's two ways to be immune it, and they're, can't, they're but, only considering right. one of the two it, it can be that could be a way for medical staff to prove immunity without needing to get a vaccine yeah absolutely because don't get me wrong like they they ask for a ton of shit when you get approved to work in a facility. I mean, I don't think the average person understands that most nurses and doctors and nurse practitioners like myself or PAs or whoever, 
Like we've been poked and prodded more than you want to believe. Just, I mean, almost like the military. You go in the military, they're just going to start poking you with a bunch of stuff when you go into the military. If you're going overseas, for sure. If you're going overseas, you're going to have a bunch of vaccines and a whole bunch of different things that you never had before. And if you go to different continents, it's a whole new set each time. <laughs> Every time. So that's the norm. And when you're when you're in the U.S. and you're going to work at a hospital or a long-term care facility to get credentialed, they're going to say, have you had this series of vaccines? Are you Have you ever had TB? We need to have a TB. Like, annually I have to get a TB test see if I've been exposed to tuberculosis every year. Right. I get a quantifying blood test because I hate the two-step. Two-step, you got to go do it twice. <laughs> I'm busy. I got shit to do. I'll right, get right, a blood right, test, right. and five days later they'll tell me if I've never been exposed or whatever. So I have to do this. I have to go get a flu vaccine. They make you get a flu vaccine because if you don't get a flu vaccine, you have to wear a mask all the time, which is ironic because everyone's wearing a mask anyway, so you don't need it, but it's easier just to get it and shut up and not worry about it. Yeah. I've said that for years, and the average person that goes to the hospital is fine. What we're pissed off about is the the mandate being only one only one way. It's only the vaccine. That's it. And then we know that the vaccine wanes. We know that it doesn't work. We know that people still get sick. They call it breakthrough infection. Well, bullshit. It's not breakthrough. It's not breakthrough. It just didn't fucking work. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit before we started the show. There's other questions when we talk about these memory T cells, such as, um, <clears throat> does the partial signature that's that's garnered from just the S protein spike, um, does it in some way impair the immune process from creating memory T cells upon post-vaccination infection by the wild virus. Oh, right. So if you've been vaccinated and then you get sick. Will you develop memory T cells? Now, right. by the way, all these questions that I pose, such as this, uh, the, uh, the other question is, um, if you originally were infected with the wild virus, your body created memory T cells, and then you get vaccinated. Does it somehow inhibit or stop or slow down or yeah yeah the response right? So affected there, function of there's, the yeah. There's all sorts of questions. Yes, right? um, there's not being either researched or answered, as far as I know. Well, here's the thing: the, it might be being researched. I just don't know that it's being done. Yeah, um, we talked about the uh, MHC two peptide. Uh, tetramar staining technology that, mm -hmm. that actually identifies the um, the peptide complexes within the memory T cells. There's no way to find a memory T cell. Right. Um, but post-infection, if you're looking for the uh, the peptide complexes, the only place you'll find them, the only place they're stored, is in memory T cells. So if you find them, they're in the memory. T you cell. you know there are memory T cells, right? Right. That's why they they use the tetramar staining technology. So. My point is that these things are not difficult to ascertain, and CDC and NIH has all the data in the world. So if they're not looking at these questions, it's because, in my opinion, if they're not looking at these questions, which they're not, it's because they don't want the answers. Or because informally, in closed meetings, they already have the answers. Right. So to, to announce publicly, we're looking at this issue, um, then they'd have to come up with an answer. And then right. they'd have to provide the science, and then people could could— determine whether the science is credible. They don't even want to go there. Right. Uh, one of the things, I saw a headline the other day that said that the National Institutes of Health is initiating um, a study to see the long-term effects of COVID-19 on uh, women who are pregnant. Uh, but guess what they're not doing? 
there's no study on the long-term effects to a pregnant woman who's vaccinated. <laughs> it's only to a woman who actually got infected by the wild virus. So it's like there's women who don't want to get vaccinated because I understand that they don't want to negatively or potentially negatively affect their pregnancy. Absolutely. It's already everything's at risk anyway. And we don't know. And we don't know. So they don't want to get it. And then they're being they're losing their jobs. There are no long term studies. I mean, that's another, in my in my opinion, criminal aspect of these mandates. There are no long term studies. Did you hear what the CDC? uh, Well, there's a group of bunch of. Although there's 247 million Americans who are now participating in a long-term study. Correct. <laughs> but we don't have any long-term studies. We don't have any long-term studies. Well, they started it. <laughs> we haven't completed it. Yeah. Um, but the one one of the the groups of people who were giving guidance on kids getting vaccinated said, well, we won't know until we give the vaccine. Oh. That's what they said in an I... open forum, which is true, yet... Scary at the same time. And that's the entire, I think that's a, a great way to, that statement, which was insane, yes. um, speaks to the entire mindset of these mRNA vaccines since yeah. since somebody said, oh, a pandemic. Well, there was a thousand, I think it was 1147, that's numbers weird, that's why it stuck in my head. Kids who were initially enrolled in the initial trials with uh, Pfizer, eleven forty-seven, but none of those kids had any comorbidities. Yeah. None of those kids uh, had any other issues. I mean, it was like they were perfectly healthy children enrolled in the study. Have you seen the Pfizer commercial to, to encourage children to get vaccinated? The one that they just did for the superheroes. The, the, I didn't see the superhero one, but I know that Bugs Bunny, not Bugs Bunny, uh, the Big Bird just on Sesame Street just got his vaccine and the president and everybody was like congratulating him on his vaccine. He, I'll tell you the one. Big the Bird one, tweeted his arm was a little the sore. They, they've got these kids trying to convince other kids that getting vaccinated makes them superheroes. Jesus Christ. Um, so Who's you, the first to jump off a building? Yeah. So you know I'm not religious. Right. And uh, Hitchens, who was one of the great all-time um, expositors on atheism. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that we'd have an entirely different world if children were not presented with any religious concepts until they had reached the age of reason. Okay. okay. Uh, that's how I see this Pfizer commercial. Okay. <laughs> you, you've got like eight-year-olds putting peer pressure on other eight-year-olds yeah. and telling them you will become a superhero if you get this shot. That's just insane. For which no long-term studies exist, and concerning something that will never harm you, if if you are comorbidity-free, it will never harm you. That's it's sickening to me because they're not supposed to market to kids. They're not supposed to market anything to kids. Yet this is being marketed to kids as if it's Tic Tacs and shit. You can't even market cigarettes to adults. <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> There's no more Marlboro Man. There's right, no more right, Joe right. Camel. None of that's available. But anymore. you can you can market to children something that has no long term studies and and could potentially cause them more problems. Yes, yes, has been shown in numerous studies to cause more problems. My theory on the whole myocarditis thing is that it's because of the way it's being injected. This is my complete hypothesis. But if they're injecting intramuscularly, there's always a vasculature through the muscle in and some they're, form. They're not aspirating. They're not aspirating. So my fear is that because they haven't aspirated the needle, 
They're just poking in and jabbing because that changed in the last five years. It used to be you aspirate every time. And yes. us old school dudes and female nurses, we ask, we still do it. We still aspirate. But the new crop is not because they're not taught that way. So well, ja- jab and push, right? So if you push into a vessel, yeah. be it an artery or a vein, I think that's where the myocarditis is coming from. Absolutely. And there's evidence of that. There's a, a, a retired MD out of the UK. Okay. Um, he's, he's pretty much an establishment wonk. Um, <laughs> but every once in a while, I mean, there, there are things the establishment says rarely that are, mm-hmm. are, that are factually accurate. Right. Okay? And, and one of them is the aspiration issue. And there was a study, I forget, he, he talked about it, I've, but I, I received so much data. You know, people send yeah. me shit all the time. Um, I feel like I'm reading 20 studies a day. I, I know that's <laughs> an exaggeration, but that's how I feel. And uh, there was actually a study done where they tracked down where they were finding the spike proteins. Oh. Okay. Because, right, it's supposed to have adhesion. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay, it's supposed to stay where you put it. Yes. Um, but they actually proved that it's moving. By intentional, not not in humans, intentionally injecting the mRNA vaccine uh, intravenously. Right, in mice models or whatever. Yeah. They actually found the spike proteins in all the organs and massive inflammation. So, yes, you're absolutely spot on when there's no asp- when they don't aspirate. Um, and if it, as you say, I mean, it, we know that's a rare occurrence. And Correct. If you take a look at a thousand in, intramuscular injections, who knows how many... Uh, 10, maybe. Let's call it 10 for round numbers. But yes, that's where the spike proteins get loose. There's no adhesion. Right. They're now in the red blood cells. Correct. Floating around the whole body. Yeah. Ready ready to inflame and infuriate any potential organ that it comes in contact with. And the heart just, because of the ACE2 response, it's going to affect the lungs and the heart. Yeah. Because that's where the ACE2 receptors are sitting. And, you know, the funny thing about myocarditis is, as you well know, being in the cardiology field, um, it's very common It just it, in anybody who has a viral infection. Mm-hmm. But normally, it's so minor, the person never even realizes they have it, and in six weeks, it's gone. Correct. So, but the, the kind of myocarditis we're seeing today is something entirely different. The other thing that concerns me is that we're injecting young people between the ages of 18 and 40, mm-hmm. and they're dying when they're under high levels of physical stress. Yes. That's soccer players. Yeah. There's something football going on players. There. Something's going on. Yes. There's a high level of physical exertion associated because they're not dying at home. They're dying on the fucking fields. Yes. The soccer fields while they're playing, they're dying. They're getting sick and dying after their heart rates, ex, you know, exceeded their norm, which is or, a whole new form of myocarditis in a sense. Right, exactly. So why is that happening? Yeah, tip- because generally no one dies. Yeah. Those young people are healthy, they're exercising, they're eating well, they're doing all the things they need to do. They're professional athletes. And boom. And then they're dead. And when one person dies, we're like, oh, that's sad. When two people die, we're like, holy cow, that's crazy. When you got three, four, five of them. Something's going on. Something's happening. That's not normal. That's an abnormal change. And what's the change? Like you and I have talked about food numerous times and how it's negative. The Ansel Keys reference, people should understand Ansel Keys ruined the world because he thought <laughs> sugar was good for you. But anyway, ruined the world right off. He did ruin the world. So, because if you look back at pictures of the 70s and 80s at the beach, everyone was thin and you look there now and they're all fat. Yeah. So, whatever. I'm saying that this could be ruining 
people in that age group that don't necessarily need the vaccine. Right. It's putting them at high risk. But we haven't studied the effects of high levels of physical stress no. on people. So why are they dying? And traditional myocarditis, um, let's say in an 18-year-old. That's the, one, gets, that's the one change across the board is everyone's getting the vaccine. Yeah. So the typical myocarditis that existed prior to mRNA vaccines, uh, you'd get a virus. There would be some heart inflammation, usually very minor. But even if they had a modest case of myocarditis, not not a slight, but a modest case, um, they would be a little short of breath. They'd, be, they'd have a little energy issue. Um, and so the doctor would say, well, take it easy for another four weeks. You know, mm-hmm. don't go out and do um, but so there was there was sort of that uh, governor in place and that they didn't feel right. Correct. Okay. So, but you're right with what's going on now with the mRNA vaccines, they seem to feel fine yeah. until the moment they drop dead. Right. Which is not the myocarditis we've known. There was a there's a young man who was infected not because of the vaccine. This was prior to COVID in the hospital. A young guy. He was cat scratch fever. The straight up song he got scratched by a cat. He got really sick, developed severe myocarditis, and we had to life flight him out to a heart transplant center. Wow. Because he could not, like, we could barely keep him going. He needed a transplant because of the infection was so bad. So I'm not saying that it's not happening or didn't happen prior to the vaccine. It just happened differently. Happened differently, and it happened, you know, Generally, it happened rarely. Very rarely, yeah. This and S- Serious though, myocarditis is, like, incredibly rare. Correct. Prior to mRNA vaccines. Correct. This, even though, let's say five people this happened to with the mRNA vaccine, and it only happened to one person, you're going to say, oh, well, it's only five. Well, that's a 500% leap. Yes. Percentage-wise, that's a lot. Yeah. And we should be looking at it from that perspective, not that it's five out of a million people or whatever. I'm saying it's... Or five out of 75 million people. I'm saying it's one to five. Like, that's a big leap. Yeah, 500% jump. Yeah. I mean, if it was, if we go back to the percentages, if it was 100 people and now it's 5,000 people or whatever, you're talking a, a big jump, you know? Yeah. So society needs to realize that we're we're in a pro. We have a problem here that we're not investigating, that we're just dismissing as, oh, it's just weird. It's just weird. Anything, and we've covered a lot of question marks here today, anything that might tend to, the the results of which, um, any research which, the results of which might tend to cause people to disfavor vaccination, the research is not being done. How grossly irresponsible of that. We want the fucking money, so we're not going to do this research until all of you, until after you've all gotten the jab. Right. I think the Tuskegee Airmen could probably <laughs> talk about this whole situation. Just yeah. throwing it out there yeah, as a potential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just insane. Well, thanks for talking with me today, Dave. It's yeah, been, we have beat this to death. I love it, though, yeah. because we finally got a chance to chat, man. We never do that, so that's good. And that's great. I mean, All right. yeah, just the opportunity to sit and, and chat with you long term. Right. get that to, uh, often enough. So if anyone needs to get a hold of me, you can reach me at medicallyunbiased.com. You can email me. And uh, we'll chat later. And if Dave, how do they reach you? Okay, so you can always go to drreality.news, which is drreality.news. Um, you can contact me there. You can look at my books there. Um, if you want to go directly to my email, it's Dave at drreality. Uh, did I say dot com? Dot news. Dot news. You said dot com. <laughs> I said dot com because mine's a dot com. Okay, so reality.news. And if you want to go directly to me, it's at Dave at drreality.news. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
been listening to Medically Unbiased. Visit our website at medicallyunbiased.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Medically Unbiased. Listening to this podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship. The Medically Unbiased podcast is for general information purposes only. Thanks for listening.